Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. I am back not only from Mythmoot, uh, but from my family journeys thereafter. So we're getting getting ready to get back to Bree just in time to leave it uh, tonight. I missed you guys over the last couple weeks uh, as we've been traveling. Um, good to be back now. I'm going to be back this week and next week. And then, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, the, oh yeah, the week after that is a big day. I won't be able to be here then. But, more on that later. Um, okay, so welcome back everybody. This is session number 65. So, of course, tonight is the auspicious evening when we will probably be leaving the town boundaries of Bree, which is, again, as I say, kind of a big deal, right? Uh, and uh, and none too soon, some would say, in session 65 of the class. Um, so, yes, we are on Langevall tonight for people who, uh, who want to join us uh, online for the field trip later on. In the meantime, uh, uh, let us... Uh, uh, let us Actually, before we start, I've got two quick announcements. First, uh, I would like to um, remind you guys about something I've been talking about, but it's coming up now very soon, and that is, of course, our summer camps at Signum University. So these are free camps for middle school kids. Uh, uh, really strongly encouraged. The first one is uh, is The Hobbit. Of course, our Hobbit camp starts next week. So next Monday is day one of our Hobbit camp. Um, and I would just emphasize, uh, as I've done before, of course, these are designed to coordinate with groups, or coordinating, co- coordinating with a bunch of library groups and things, which is great at public libraries around the country, but you can totally do this on your own. So if you've got a middle schooler, you know, anywhere in the, you know, any kid in the age, you know, like 10 to 15-ish, it can be younger, it can be a little older, whatever. Um, anyhow, uh, it's, um, we're, 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 uh, we're excited to welcome individuals, family groups, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, if you want to run this with your kids, um, then, um, uh, then we can uh, uh, we can we can totally arrange that. Not only do we have free daily sessions um, with our with, with our teachers, so that students can ask questions and and uh, and and you know get involved in inter- interactive dialogue on the book. We will also send you if you fill out our group registration thing. We'll also which you can be your own group. Uh, we'll also send you our totally free uh, and completely awesome packet of stuff, of supporting curriculum stuff, um, so that you can supplement uh, the online classes that we're doing with, we'll give you discussion questions chapter by chapter to, to, to kind of help you talk through this with your kid or with groups of kids if, you're, if your other uh, kids have, uh, have, have other friends who want to do it with them. Um, we've got games and, and uh, journaling ideas and all sorts of really fun ways to try to help kids just sort of invest themselves imaginatively uh, in these worlds. Not only The Hobbit, which is our first camp uh, starting, as I say, next Monday, but Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone after that, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, uh, after that, and a wrinkle in time after that, stretching through uh, the middle of August. So two weeks, uh, each one of them, uh, and anybody is welcome to join uh, one or uh, one or all of them. So uh, I see that that the, uh, I got that note on Twitter. Um, I will definitely tweet about this. It's going to be a little bit because I'm going to be here in class for a while, but I will definitely do a tweet uh, on that, and uh, I appreciate the retweet there uh, to continue to spread the word about our really fun camps. So. 
Anyway, just wanted to remind folks, this is coming up and this is going to be really fun and exciting. And I hope as many people as possible uh, can join us uh, for that. So, uh, and again, if you want more information to sort of see how this works on this page, this is signumuniversity.org slash academy. uh, And uh, you can get all the information on the different camps, links to the registration for your group registration. uh, we've got uh, uh, a link to so that you can email us. This is a, a little video that I did explaining the program in, uh, in more detail. Um, so lots and lots of information here. Everything you want to know about our summer camps, which start really soon and are going to be awesome. So I uh, just wanted to draw everyone's attention to that. The second thing I wanted to say to everybody, because although I've been talking about this now, it wasn't officially announced until the day after the last time uh, we were here. And that is our next Mythgard Academy class, which is the Mort D'Arthur, Sir Thomas Mallory's Le Mort D'Arthur. We are doing this entire book unabridged in Middle English. It is going to be fantastic. I have not uh, gotten to teach my way through this entire book in many years, and I am super excited about this. Um, so this is what uh, one, of course, also the next volume of the history of Middle Earth, which we'll do afterwards. We've just we're almost done with the history of the Lord of the Rings, right? We're going to do Sauron defeated after this. So we're going to do Mowry's Mord Arthur, and then we're going to do Sau- uh, Sauron defeated to continue our march through the history of Middle Earth series, which has been such a a, a, a sort of eye opening and occasionally mind blowing experience, certainly for me as we've gone through it together. But Mowry, this is going to be good. So just to emphasize. Just to emph- uh, uh, so no, I see questions about do we have a registration link uh, for this yet? No, we don't yet. That's coming very soon. Uh, the website should be up uh, with that, with the registration link, and also with the schedule for the first bit. I'm not going to try to make a week by week schedule all the way through because there's no way I'm going to be able to predict exactly the pace we're going to go through. Um, but I will have a schedule out for the uh, for the first session. Um, now, uh, several people have been asking just to confirm the text that you should buy, because I talked about this for quite a while uh, last Wednesday. Maori texts are complicated. Um, the, the, there, are, there are a couple things that I really want to, ins- like if you really want to be able to follow along and get the experience of reading Mallory in the original, which is a great experience that all English readers really should have, I think. It's one of the classics of English literature. Um, really one of the cornerstones of, of uh, you know, the King Arthur story and its uh, sort of legacy into the modern world, right? I mean, almost every modern uh, English-based King Arthur story starts here. Mallory is not at all the beginning of the King Arthur story. He saw himself as the end, you know, sort of the culmination of the King Arthur story. Um, but this is sort of the origin point, uh, you know, so Mallory is, is, uh, is super important. Anyway, the point is, in order to be able to follow along with us and, 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 and discuss this text as we're going to be talking about it together, the text needs to be unabridged. It needs to be uh, in Middle English, not in Modern English uh, translation. And it needs to be uh, and I'm, I'm doing the, I'm following the text that is based on the Winchester manuscript. So uh, this book, uh, the complete works of Mallory, it's not titled Le Mort d'Arthur, uh, which is, of course, the most common title. That's the common that's the title that William Caxton gave it when he published it. 
one of the first books, the second book, I think, actually, uh, to be printed in English uh, by by William Caxton. Um, but uh, but anyway, so he's the one who gave it that title. We're not. This text is not based on Caxton's uh, uh, printed version, but rather on the Winchester manuscript, which was Mallory's manuscript that Caxton was using in order to print uh, his edition. Um, so we're going to be following this now. Many of you. Um, this is available on Amazon. It's available in paperback. It's not very expensive, uh, and it's pretty generally available. The editor is Eugene Vinaver, V-I-N-A-V-E-R, Eugene Vinaver. Um, um, so please do uh, – That's this is definitely my, my recommended text. Now, I know that several of you are going to – uh, say, in fact, some people already. I've, I've been getting a little bit of flack already on on Twitter, and say, wait, wait, this is not the like most recent edition. PJC Field came out with this magisterial new edition uh, in 2014. Why am I not using the Field Vinaver version instead of use? And like, why am I using the Vinaver version instead of the new uh, Field Vinaver version? The really simple answer to that uh, is that. I haven't used it yet, um, and I don't have time to kind of prepare. I don't know it, basically. What I am doing, however, uh, because I'm really excited about the field edition, I've never and I've never used it before. I I, I do have it, and I'm going to be uh, kind of. Uh, tracking with it. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of kind of textual comparison as we go through. So this is going to be a really fun learning experience for me. But I'm just, I'm not familiar enough with it. I've taught out of this one before. This is a good text. I love this text. I've taught out of this text before. Um, and I don't have time to to, to <laughs> prepare my whole plan uh, around a text that I've never used before. So we're going to use this one. That's what we're going to do. Um, so anyway, that's absolutely uh, that's uh, that's that's really exciting. Um, Eugene Vinaver, Mallory's works. This is the second edition. The first edition is still out there, I think, possibly, and it's fine. But the second edition is cooler. Um, so. Let me know if you have any questions about that. As I said, there is going to be a reading schedule. Um, we are going to work on some Middle English pronunciation the first time, uh, which is going to be uh, really fun. And actually, in on that light, I have a recommendation for you now. Several people are wanting to know, is there an e-text available? <sighs> it's tricky. Um, there are m- several texts, uh, e-texts available, like through Project Gutenberg, of the Caxton edition. And that's fine. You'll be fine if you read the Caxton edition. Um, it's not in quite the same order, so there will be a little bit of confusion, but you'll live. So if you want to do that, that's okay. Um I recommend getting this, but but whatever, it's fine. Um, we are going to uh, we're going to do some Middle English pronunciation though too. So I have a, I have a recommendation for you. Um, uh, if you Google the Chaucer Studio, I love the Chaucer Studio. The Chaucer Studio is dedicated to making audio recordings of Middle English stuff, and not just Middle English stuff, actually. They've kind of uh, expanded a little bit. They've got stuff in Old High German, Old Norse, Old French, Medieval Latin, uh, Italian. is pretty cool. Um, this is like for audiophile medievalists, basically. I've been a huge fan of the Chaucer Studio ever since I learned about them uh, many, many years ago. Um, they have one um, they have one recording, uh, which is called Mallory Aloud. So if you just Google uh, Chaucer Studio and then just search 
uh, for Mallory here, and you'll find the Mallory Allowed recording. It's a $5 download, so purchase it for 5 bucks. Um, it's essentially the equivalent of one CD worth. This is not an unabridged recording. Um, I don't know of an unabridged recording of Mallory in the Middle English trans- uh, pronunciation, but uh, this is a series of 12 tracks. It's, it's famous bits. Uh, from Sir Thomas Mallory, uh, read aloud by really good readers and scholars. Uh, and so I strongly recommend this just as a way to kind of get it in your ear. Um, you know, get this, read along with the, with the text and you'll, 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 you'll pick it up. You'll, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not like, certainly not like old English. Um, and it's much closer to modern English, uh, than, uh, than Chaucer is. But, uh, anyway, so this is definitely my recommendation, um, for uh, uh, for where to um, uh, where to kind of acclimate yourself to uh, Middle English pronunciation. So okay, all right. <laughs> I see her are are teasing me for saying that you'll live if you read the Caxton instead of instead of the Winchester manuscript. Yeah, I just meant that I wouldn't kill you. It's all like I'm not going to be mad. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, that's going to be good. So 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 this creative says we should tweet at them. What, what at the Chaucer Studio? It's a big project, you know, and this is all full of volunteer people. So um um. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't, and no, mad violinist, I'm not even gonna bear, uh, bear them away to the houses of lamentation. If you, if you, uh, uh, if you, if you read the Caxton, uh, edition on, you know, online in a free e-text, you know, um, you know, I, your, your soul will not be devoured, right? Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, it'll be fine, right? It, really, really, it'll be fine. Um, is just preferred edition. So, okay, anyway, that's the plan. So I am uh, looking forward to jumping into Maori. That's going to start next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, the 11th. We're not starting tomorrow, of course, because it's the 4th of July, which we celebrate here in America, but uh, it's going to, we're going to, so we're going to start next week. And uh, the, uh, the registration link should be posted for that very soon. So, okay. All right. Um, okay, Good. I think then that is our announcements, unless anybody else has any other questions. So very good. Let us go back to um, uh, let us go back to our text tonight. It's ready to start our discussion. Uh, uh, back where we left off, into dark and danger. This is a very significant moment. We talked about the transition into Brie, right? You know, at the beginning we were thinking about um, how that whole period in the old forest and then at Tom Bombadil's house and then in the Barrow Downs, um, you'll remember that we were kind of comparing that to like a journey into fairy and back, right? When they get back to the East Road, there's that uh, like waking up experience almost that they have, right? Um, like them returning to the real world again. Uh, Brie is different, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit strange, from a Shire perspective, but it's the same world, right? It's not this other world like the old forest in Tom Bombadil's house uh, and the Barrow Downs were. Um, and we looked, of course, at their first entrance into Bree and the way in which the strangeness and kind of scariness of that, especially as it seemed from Sam's perspective, uh, was definitely emphasized. And yet, you know, it's the Prancing Pony, right? It's Butterbur, it's Bob and, and Nob, uh, the Hobbit pair, obviously. Right. Um, so it's great. Uh, 
you know, uh, familiar and yet not familiar. So we can see Bree as this kind of transitional pr- place on their journey, right? They've they've gone away, but yet they're um, they're not um, they're not totally out of familiar lands yet. And you'll remember back in The Hobbit, at the beginning of Chapter 2 of The Hobbit, um, when Bilbo and the dwarves first set out on their journey, we get in like a paragraph them going through this whole area, which eventually, of course, Tolkien is going to uh, to flesh out here into Bree Land and everything else like that. There's no reference to the Prancing Pony uh, in The Hobbit, but we're told that what we do get in that one paragraph that describes this is this progression, right, of them traveling through lands which are less and less familiar, right? First lands which look and feel like the lands that Bilbo has known, but where they sing strange songs that he's never heard before, right? And then into stranger and stranger country, and then passed out where the inns cease and they're out in the wild. And of course, that's when they meet the troll and everything, right? Uh, the trolls, I, I meant to say, all three of them. Um, so with the... Um, with Bree in the Lord of the Rings, we can see you know it's it, we can see a similar thing, right? We can see a similar progression that Tolkien seems to have in mind, and yet um, we're not going to, um, uh, in a sense, the drop off is a little bit starker, right? Especially since we have the Black Riders pursuing them um, in the in in the Hobbit. You know, they encounter the trolls, but they're not being chased, right? They're not being hunted uh, as they go through this. The way that the darkness and the the danger begins to close in around them at Bree, certainly this night and this uh, rather scary morning that they wake up to, when they leave Bree, they're still, again, they're still kind of on that Hobbit progression, right? Moving towards the latter stages where they pass into the Lone Lands. That phrase comes from the Hobbit. Um... But they, uh, but but in the context of the Lord of the Rings story, the drop off is fairly sudden, right? When they leave Bree uh, and they get out into the woodlands, they get out into the Bree lands. Uh, they're in dark and danger, uh, to quote back from Chapter Ten right away, right? Um, and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at that transition. Uh, here today, uh, I do. As I say, my goal is to get out of the uh, the 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 city limits of Bree uh, today. So we'll see how we do. Um, all right. Uh, so let's move forward there. But actually, okay. Before we get back to the text, two quick um, questions. I think they'll be relatively quick uh, from the discussion board. First, a question uh, by Evil Dr. Cannon, and congratulations to Evil Dr. Cannon for achieving the uh, monumental feat of uh, catching up by binge-watching the first 64 episodes in like three weeks. Uh, Anyway, good job catching up with us, uh, and uh, uh, glad you could uh, join us. I don't know if you're able to join us for live discussion or whether you're just going to be watching asynchronously, but uh, more caught up. But anyway, good to have you up with us again. Oh, yeah, he is here. Great, excellent. Um, anyway, so I, I wanted to address his question about Morgul blades, which is which is a, which is a really good one. Uh, he says recently we discussed the attack by the Nazgul on the house at Crick Hollow. 
uh, points out how it totally blew his mind, uh, how he'd never before caught how long and drawn out the assault was. Yeah, I don't think I ever had either. So that was that was uh, that was that was really interesting to me too. Uh, when the ring wraith at the door finally moves, he draws a blade which was described to gleam as if a chill light had been unsheathed, even though there was no moon or starlight. Based on this description, it was quickly assumed that the weapon was a Morgul blade. I had always assumed, perhaps erroneously, that the Morgul blade used to stab Frodo was a more rare or even unique weapon. The Witch King himself carried the knife that stabbed Frodo, but he also held a longsword, which I presume is his primary weapon. I certainly acknowledge the similarity in the luminous descriptions during the attack near Weathertop, both the knife and the hand that held it glowed with a pale light, and the next morning when Strider finds the knife on the ground, there was a cold gleam in it. However, Morgul blades are not the only ones in Middle-earth to glow, so this seems like insufficient evidence to assume that the blade at Crick Hollow was a Morgul knife. Do you think that Morgul blades are standard issue for the Nazgul or only carried by the Witch King? Great question. I think at the end of the day... Um, the um, uh, what this really kind of pivots on is the word Morgul, right? Um, and as is often the case, a, a, a word that Tolkien kind of throws around as a proper noun, right, because it's been translated into into his languages, is actually kind of generic when you look at it and translate it, right? A Morgul blade does sound like a very specific, you know, that's a Morgul blade. Um, uh, you know, kind of like, I don't know, like you would say, like, oh, that's a Vorpal sword or a Holy Avenger or something like that in D&D. Like, again, a very specific, as, uh, you know, as you put it, um, uh, what was the... Uh, um, uh, sorry, I'm losing your... Fr- oh, yeah, rare or even unique weapon, right? Um, but it's not like that. So, uh, so yeah, the, the the thing is, is is the word Morgul, right? Minas Morgul um, is the name of the... is the name of the tower, right? So, Minas Ithil, which was the tower of the... You know, so Minas' tower. Minas Ithil was the tower of the moon, just as Minas Anor was the tower of the sun. Minas Ithil has its name changed to Minas Morgul, and the way that that gets translated in the text is Tower of Sorcery, right? He uses the word sorcery, um which is a word that Tolkien uses as kind of a synonym for magic, um, but which, um, uh, but which he, uh, sorcery, he tends to use in a negative sense. I can't think of any single, I'd be interested to see if I'm misremembering this here, but I can't think of a single instance in which Tolkien uses the word sorcery in a positive sense, right? He generally means it's, 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 dark magic, right? And of course the word Morgul does in fact contain, you know, the M-O-R beginning is the, and that means black, right? Mordor is the black land, literally, though is the literal translation. Um, so whenever you see M-O-R at the beginning of a name, it probably means black. So Tower of Sorcery, maybe how Minas Morgul is translated in the text, the more literal translation would be Tower of Black Magic, really. Um, which again, black magic seems to be kind of a synonym for sorcery in uh, in 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 Tolkien's usage. Um, anyway, uh, so the point here, um, and now Tony, you're right. Ghoul uh, means spirit or ghost, as in Nazgul, the ring wraith, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you could say that yeah, Minas Morgul sort of translates to. Uh, 
Um, no, no, no. That's right. That's right. Aragorn is correct. Nazgul is black speech. So that's that's a that's a that's that's a that's a false connection. Um, anyway, yeah, Valori says pejorative sorcery would be another good band name. That's certain. That's uh, that's that's true. Anyway, the point is, um, Morgul, therefore, is kind of a generic word, right? So when they say it's a Morgul blade. It does sound like it's a very particular kind of thing, but it actually, you know, when you when you when you look at it and translate it, um, it's kind of generic, right? When somebody says this is a Morgul blade, what they mean is this blade is invested with dark magic, right? There is sorcery in this blade. So in that sense, the Morgul blades are sort of equivalent to Sting or uh, Glamdring in the sense that they are invested with power. And we talked about this in, in uh, connection with Mary's Knife just a, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, this idea of uh, makers of things investing the things that they make with, uh, uh, in a sort of their own, their own thought and their own will to some extent, and that being seeming to be how magic weapons are made uh, in Tolkien's world. Um, the Morgul blades are definitely examples of that. Um, and yeah, powered by Morgul, exactly, Hrothgar, that's just it. Um, it could Lincoln mean a blade coming from the smiths of Minas Morgul, but the way that they talk about it means it's clearly not just a trademark. It's not just like made in China, right? Um, it, it, um, it clearly suggests that there is power. It doesn't seem ever to be used, uh, of something that is just like a kind of a normal weapon which happens to be derived from a blacksmith who was in Morgul, right? Um, it means that there is power in the weapon itself. Um, uh, and yes, I believe that Morgul is a Sindarin word, Harnuth, because Morgul is the word that's not it's not a, a black speech word. It's not used by the um, uh, the ring rays themselves, for instance. Um, I'm forgetting what it is now, but uh, in the original version of the conversation between Shagrat and Gorbag at the end of the two, uh, this is from uh, from our Return of the Shadow class um, in the Mythgard Academy, and we were looking at the at the the draft history of that. In the original conversation, they kept using, and I'm forgetting what it is. If somebody remembers, remind me what it is. Um, but they kept using the black speech name of Minas Morgul. Like they, 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 they had a name for that tower, and it wasn't Minas Morgul because that's Elvish, right? They had a separate black speech name for it, um, which I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yes, so Minas Morgul is what. The good guys used to call that tower Minas Ithil. The good guys came to call it Minas Morgul after the Ringwraiths took it over, right? And it became the Tower of Sorcery. Um, so that is an external label. That's not, just as Sauron is, in a sense, an external label, na- label and isn't what Sauron calls himself. Um, so anyway, um, this comes back to then the question of the weapon that we see at Crick Hollow and the weapon that we're going to see at Weathertop. Does this mean that they're the same? I don't know that it necessarily means that they're the same. Does it mean that um, all weapons called Morgul weapons have the same effect? Uh, I mean, it's possible. We just don't really have enough data to be able to uh, draw that conclusion uh, firmly one way or the other. But I would say this. Um, I think that uh, 
I think it is there is nothing it seems to me in the phrase Morgul Blade to suggest that um there is one version of that, right? That uh you know the 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 effect that we see this Morgul blade having on Frodo, it doesn't seem to me inevitable that all blades called Morgul blades would have exactly that effect. I can easily imagine Morgul blades having different kinds of effects, right? Again, it's it's a fairly generic term in that way. Um, but, um, um, but, uh, Again, we don't know that they are, but I don't think it's inescapable uh, to think that that is like the one function of Morgul blades. Um, I could believe it, but I don't. Uh, uh, but I don't think there's, to me, compelling evidence to believe that that must necessarily be the case. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, Doctor Evil Cannon. We'll see when when we get to when we get to that. So we're only uh, we're only like a couple chapters away from hearing Aragorn and Gandalf's comments on it. Um, uh, uh, Doctor Evil Cannon was saying that uh, Aragorn and Gandalf seem to know what it does. Uh, the one thing I'd add to that is that yes, but remember there are runes on the hilt, right? Um, and Aragorn is keen for. Elrond to be able to read to see to save the hilt, um, uh, so that he remember he shows it to Glorfindel, right? Glorfindel and Elrond seem to diagnose the wound in part based on what they read on the blades, right? So Morgul Morgul blades uh, labeled for your convenience, right? The runes that are set within them seem to be part of the power and that connection between an engraved rune on an object. Uh, and power invested in it is certainly an old idea and one that we see elsewhere uh, in uh, in Tolkien's work. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, good. Um, all right, good. Let's see. Could the runes be the enchantment itself, knowing the exact enchantment is critical to healing the wound it's quite possible um uh yes yeah i mean i i do think that that's at least why aragorn saves them right saves the the hilt uh because he suspects that it will be useful um it will be useful for for elrond to know uh what was on the hilt of the blade that wounded frodo so um yeah yeah good um cool Okay, so anyway, but 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 great question, and this is and, and this is exactly. I mean, Tolkien's naming conventions are both so simple and yet really effective, right? I mean, he he does this thing which is simple, right? He has an makes up an elvish word which means dark magic, right? Um, and so he calls the the weapon which is invested with evil magic a dark magic blade, right? Um, which in Elvish doesn't sound dumb, right? And not only does it not sound dumb, but it uh, it ends up, you know, sounding really cool and distinctive, like a rare and unique uh, uh, item, right? So um, we see Tolkien doing this kind of thing um, all over the place. So anyway, okay, great question, and again, uh, welcome uh, to the live uh, uh, version of this. Uh, second, okay, so Harnuth's 
defense. Uh, so this is Harnuth for the defense. He he was uh, uh, he was um, hired as the defense barrister uh, for Harry uh, Goatleaf, uh, and uh, I thought this was this was great. And by the way, this is exactly the kind of thing which I think is really important to question. Right? There are many things which you kind of always assume and then when you go to look at the text carefully you sort of like my crisis with like realizing I couldn't prove that Bob was a hobbit right um, anyway so uh, I, so uh, Harnuth's question is Harry Goatleaf right evil or not first question was is he actually Harry Goatleaf um, uh, d- uh, why do we uh, know that his name his last name is Goatleaf it's not in the Fellowship of the Ring but it is in the Return of the King when they come back through um uh, uh, I think it's Butterbur explicitly mentions Harry Goatleaf, who was on the Westgate. So we know that that is in fact um, uh, uh, that is in fact uh, the Harry in question. Um, but uh, but let me uh, read you. This is excerpts uh, from the uh, the the defense statement. Uh, for Harry Goatleaf. Quite some time ago, I asked about Harry the Gatekeeper's villainy and where Tolkien tells us he was among the bad guys who plagued Frodo and the guys in Bree. The only references to him are in his conversation with the hobbits at the gate and Strider's fear that the riders will drive these wretches to some evil work. Fernie and some of the strangers and maybe the Gatekeeper too. They had words with Harry at Westgate on Monday. I was watching them. He was white and shaking when they left him. The way I read this, Harry the Gatekeeper is vindicated by Strider's words. At the time Frodo and company arrived in Bree, his only role in the tale was as the official gatekeeper. He greets the hobbits as he would all strangers, arriving in the dead of night in troublesome times, friendly and informative, but cautious as any good gatekeeper must be. He even warns about queer folk about. That is something a friend would say, not a villain. Strider himself was clearly cautious about Harry because he saw the Nazgul confront him, but he also obviously had some reservation about concluding that Harry was a villain. He mentioned the possibility that he might have fallen under the control of the Nazgul, and maybe the gatekeeper too, because he was scared out of his wits after his one encounter with him on Monday. Aside from that bit of speculation, which Strider meant, uh, might have meant to urge the hobbits to greater caution, we have no indication that old Harry was part of any nasty conspiracy against the hobbits. Um, okay, great question. And yeah, I sorry, I, this is one of my problems here. So I'm going to need help, because uh, again, so I've been having issues with my screen. So I'm trying a new thing of switching back and forth, which means I can't see it at all while I'm here. So tell me when I, AFK, when I go AFK, that'd be helpful. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, great argument here. Uh, Harnuth, there's, um, <laughs> blue wizard says Sam didn't hit him with an apple. So obviously uh, he can't be all bad. Um, all right. So here's, um, Here's my response, Harnuth. First of all, I will grant you the fact that um, I think that we don't have any evidence that Harry is bad all through, right? Bill Fernie is a bad egg. That's pretty clear, right? Um, We see his corruption, his very low moral standards, uh, even under the best of times, and how this moment when the Black Riders are coming through Bree looking for Frodo is for him an opportunity. This is 
he's he's an opportunist, right? And he sees this as an opportunity for profit and hasn't the faintest qualms, obviously, uh, about doing any of these things, including breaking into the pony, uh, rustling horses and all that kind of thing. Um, and, um, and in fact, uh, I think that we can kind of go even further with that and say... Because you know, I've been kind of thinking about this when we talked about uh, Bill Fernie and the horse stealing, right? Um, that's a radical thing for him to do. He's obviously under suspicion, right? I mean, um, there is no... <laughs> this, this is like the... Who committed the horse thieving is like the worst kept secret in Brie. It, you know, it's, it's not going to take Sherlock Holmes, right, uh, to figure out who is responsible for this, especially when we get Nobbs' testimony, uh, you know, about Bill Fernie, like the, with the near kidnapping. And I mean, again, it's not going to take like, you know, CSI Breland to figure out that Bill Fernie is uh, involved in all of these nefarious goings on here at Brie. Um, and everyone in Brie is obviously very ready to believe uh, that it's him. So, horse rustling, right? Huge deal. Stealing all of the horses in the Prancing Pony. Massive deal. I mean, right, this is... Uh, this is. Um, I mean, I don't even know how to parallel this. It's like stealing an entire parking lot full of... It was just Grand Theft Auto, right? It's stealing everybody's car on the entire block when everybody is pretty sure that it was you who did that. Um, it's, a, it's a huge, huge deal. So I have a suspicion here. Um, I think that Bill Fernie, this is, this is Bill Fernie making his move. I, I talk about, I talked about him being an opportunist, right? And seeing sort of his opportunity, uh, as coming here. Um, I think that Bill Fernie sees, um, remember, remember the references that Gandalf makes back in chapter two, when he's talking about Gollum, right? Uh, about Gollum's fine new friends, right? How Gollum is all boastful that he has new friends now, new and very strong friends, uh, and that his new friends would, uh, uh, you know, would, uh, would, would, would support him, right? You know, they would see if he would stand for, uh, being kicked and everything, right? So, um, anyway, so we have, um, uh, we, I think we can see a, sa- a similar kind of pattern here. When the Black Riders come in, and the Black Riders are obviously not only intimidating, right? No one in town is going to... If he's got them on his at his back, what's he afraid of? What are they going to do to him, right? Um, he's, got, he's got fine new friends, right, who are going to take his part. Um, but at the same time, he may think this is um, the end of things, Right? Uh, I mean, he might think it's, it's, this is, this is the beginning of regime change in Brie. And in fact, we're going to learn in the return of the king that it's not going to be long after this. In fact, it may even be this very day that Bill Fernie is going to go off into the wild, uh, joining the brigands, uh, and is going to begin active, you know, guerrilla warfare against the status quo of Brie. Um, he is going to be one of the, I don't know if he's necessarily a leader in, but certainly one of the participants in attempt at armed takeover of Brie, right? So it seems to me that Bill Fernie's I'm a malcontent troublemaker who's willing to swindle folks days are over, right? He's going big league now. And I think that the horse stealing is the first step in that. The horse rustling that happens this night is Bill Fernie basically saying, okay, I don't care anymore, y'all, right? 
I don't care if you all think if you all know that I'm a horse thief. If I commit one of the worst crimes, you know, that really can be I mean, mass murder would be worse, right? Setting the whole town on fire would be worse, but stealing every horse in town, that's pretty significant. It's way up there, right? On the list of like massive infractions that he could commit. Um JJ exactly. He's pretty much openly declaring himself uh, an enemy of Bree. And it's even almost, you could almost call it a kind of recruiting call as well, right? You know, he's, he's you know, openly flouting the status quo now. Um, so anyway, I, I, th- that's definitely the kind of transition I see happening uh, with Bill Fernie here. Um, but now, Harnuth, you might be saying, well, that's all fine for Bill Fernie, right? But what about my client, right? <laughs> what does this have to do with Harry at the gate? Um, my point is, I totally, this is me conceding the point that I don't think that Harry is in the Bill Fernie category exactly, right? There is no reason, and I think that you're right, there is no reason uh, to think that Harry is a bad egg, like Bill Fernie, right? With Bill Fernie, this is just the next logical step in his career, right? He's already been, again, he's been a malcontent. He's been a troublemaker. He's even possibly been a swindler or a small-time criminal or at least suspected criminal. That seems to be in keeping with what we see, people's attitudes towards him, right? He neglects his garden, and that's obviously a bad sign, right? But... um with Harry, we don't have that. We don't see anything like that. And public opinion doesn't seem to be uh, to put Bill Fernie into that category. Now, um, as uh, um, somebody was, uh, oh, yeah, uh, Dr. Evil Cannon was saying that we know that someone was working with Bill Fernie because he had helped lifting Mary. That is probably, in fact, that is almost certainly the squint-eyed southerner who left uh, the inn with him, right, and presumably then went down to his house where Mary uh, uh, started eavesdropping right on them in the Nazgul. Um, and so I agree that's probably not Harry. Um, I don't think we have any evidence at all. And I, so here I agree with Harnuth. I don't think we have any evidence at all that, um, uh, that Harry is involved directly in any of these events here at Bree. I don't think we don't have any evidence that he's breaking into the inn. Right. Um, uh, we, I don't think we have any, re- we, we certainly could not convict Harnuth, uh, or not Harnuth, sorry. <laughs> no, definitely not Harnuth either. We couldn't convict Harry, uh, for like, uh, damaging bolsters, for instance, right? Uh, probably no bolsters were harmed by Harry Goatleaf on this night, right? Um, and it doesn't seem that he was, uh, involved in the near abduction of Mary either. Um, so, where does Harry Goatleaf get his reputation? The answer to that is very simply. Um <laughs> there says, plot twist. The defense lawyer did it. Yeah, exactly. Um, um the uh the 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 answer, why do we I mean, apart from the fact that he was uh that he was um uh, uh, uh troubled by the Nazgul at the gate as Strider testifies, having seen him, um what evidence do we have that he's part of the bad guys at all? All of this comes from the return of the king, right? In the return of the king, we learn that he went off and joined the brigands, right? Doesn't prove again that he was involved this night, but we know his ultimate destiny, he's going to be on the wrong side. Um, when they have a regular set to in Bree, right? When the battle of Bree 
breaks out and, you know, the ruffians and the agents of chaos in Breland are going to try to take over the town. Uh, Bill Fernie among them, if not necessarily leading them, Harry is going to be on the side of the bad guys there, right? So he is definitely going to be allied with Bill Fernie down the road. Um, now, what does that say about his... Um, his involvement here in this chapter, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily very much. The most, to me, the most damning thing about Harry is the horse wrestling. And this is something I never thought of before. We were asking this question in our last class. Um, how do the horses get out, right? I mean, how do you go about, uh, letting loose every single horse and pony in the stalls of the prancing pony without waking the whole town, right? This is not subtle. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, you can't, um, uh, you can't, uh, really do that quietly. And in particular, if there's a guard on the gate, I mean, they would have to have gone out the gate. Um, and I think it seems most likely they had to go out one of the two gates, right? They had to go out the South gate or the West gate. Uh, and it seems likeliest that they went out the West gate and that Harry let them out, right. And let them go past, um, you know, it'd be tough uh, Rothgar, we'd have to see if we could really convince the jury of that, right? We don't have the smoking gun with Harry, right? Um, you know, we have no eyewitness testimony that saw him leave the gate open, but there is some significant circumstantial evidence that Harry was, it was an accomplice to the horse thieving, right? Um, I know it's not the only gate. It could have been through the South Gate, but we have no reason at all to think that they went through the South Gate, whereas we do know that down the road, Harry uh, and Bill Fernie are going to become at least allies, right? So to me, that suggests that it is more likely, right, um, that um, uh, that they're going to be, that they will have gone out through the, through the West Gate. Can't prove it. It's not, it's not rock solid, right? I'm not sure if we'd get the DA to bring charges on that one, but, uh, but definitely I think there's some reason to think that. Um, but I will say this, uh, for Harry, uh, Goatleaf, um, at the end of the day, um, oh, sorry. Uh, I just seem to have lost my camera here. I'd, oops. Great. Um, Sorry, I just lost my Twitter feed, which is unfortunate. That's awful sad, in fact. Let me try it again. Um, sorry. Okay, boom. All right. Resuming. Okay, uh, sorry about that. Um... One thing I will say in defense of Harry Goatleaf is, um, I, again, I don't think he was a bad egg like Bill Fernie. And I think that the evidence, um, what there's, um, not only one piece of, uh, uh, rather, I would not only agree with your reading of Strider's words, right? Strider is not suggesting, I think, that Harry is an active collusion with the Nazgul, um, as Marianne was just saying, he, Harry has been daunted. He's not been, uh, convinced, right? He's not, uh, he's not, 
he's not a collaborator um, with the Nazgul. He's uh, he's daunted by them, right? And therefore probably willing to do what they want him to do. Um, if you like, I think that Harry, you know, if I had to tell the story of Harry Goatleaf, right, I would call it a, I would say like Gandalf said of Gollum, that it's a sad story, right? Um, I think that Harry Goatleaf uh, seems to be, there seems to be reason to think that he is an upstanding member Right of the Bree community, and because here again, I I think about Strider's words in the Return of the King when Strider it comes up, right? Harry comes up because not Strider, uh, because Gandalf asks after him, right? Um, Gandalf asks about, you know, says how's Harry, and uh, and Butterbur drops the bomb, right? And it's like actually he came in on the brigand side. Right. The way that Gandalf asks after him suggests that he's no, I mean, of course, he would have been known to Gandalf, right? He would have gone through the West Gate and therefore met uh, 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 Harry. Um, but um, but I do think that he. Uh, Gandalf doesn't seem to think ill of him. In fact, he seems to think well enough of him to inquire after him. Right. And then the sort of perhaps shocking uh, certainly disappointing news of his defection to the brigands uh, then comes in, right? Um, so, uh, um, so yeah, Hrothgar, I agree. Um, Harry's crimes aren't really crimes, more like keeping an eye out unless they need him to turn a blind one. Not, uh, not like bolster murder or attempted hobbit abduction. Agreed. He's not guilty of any of those heinous crimes yet, right? Um, but um, but anyway, I, so I I think there is reason to believe that poor Harry is a kind of a tragic figure, right? Not ultimately, I guess, tragic. He made his own choice, probably, um, but that he was one who did what he did because he was afraid, because he was uh, kind of bullied into it. He was daunted, uh, not convinced, right? At least that's kind of how I would... Uh, play it. If I were writing the backstory, if I were writing the story of Harry Goatleaf, uh, and of course we never find out what, uh, what happens to him, right? Um, you know, we, we, we see, well, we see the backside of Bill Fernie later on, but we don't, uh, we don't ever hear what happened with Harry Goatleaf. Um, and as uh, I, I forget, somebody, Tony maybe had said earlier, and yes, Tony was saying there's no evidence that Harry was present during the scouring. That's right. We don't, we don't know that Harry was involved in the Shire. Um, there's no reference to any of that thing, but um, yeah. So, okay. Um, JJ, absolutely. When film film, gets into the third age, we're totally going to, you'd think we're going to leave the Harry Goatleaf story behind. No way. I want to give Harry Goatleaf a good ending, right? In fact, I would, uh, uh, I'm not quite sure how I'd play it, but I would be seriously tempted, uh, to give Harry a good end, right? Um, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that plays out, but yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, Doctor Evil Cannon suggests that uh, Bill Fernie is like Ted Sandyman, whereas Harry Goatleaf is like Hob Hayward, right? Maybe, maybe, um, or even Cock Robin, right? Um, quite, uh, quite possibly. Um, okay, good. Um, 
And yeah, Matt, I think that's, that's absolutely right. Matt points out that in Bree, the sides aren't as clear cut as they are in Gondor. It's a local power struggle rather, rather than the enemy versus the free people. Now, I mean, I would say that it's, it does seem to be, you know, between, you know, order and chaos, right? But it's certainly not like I'm defecting and going to fight for Mordor, right? So the, um, it's it's I, I agree. It certainly doesn't have that kind of that kind of dynamic. Um, okay. Anyway, um, see, uh, you know, Aragorn. I'm kind of thinking in those directions, right? Switching uh, uh, him, switching back to the good guys and sacrificing himself in the battle to save others. I don't know if I'd go all the way in that direction, but. You know, that's kind of the direction I'm going. I would like to see Harry Goatleaf have a moment where he, like, realizes that he's made the wrong call and he's been a fool and he's been weak and he tries to redeem himself and maybe doesn't accomplish anything significant. But, uh, you know, I, I would kind of li- I, I would be tempted to give him a little, like, a, a small scale kind of Boromir ending, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, cool. All right. Um, so let's... Um, whoa! Sorry, that was not what I meant to do. Sorry. Just, like, went crazy with my slides. And goodness knows we're not going to go through slides that quickly. Let's get back to the text now, because we got to leave Bree here tonight. <laughs> we're already late. Okay. Um, Belongsman, no. Harry is not going to find the Antwives. That's totally not going to happen. All right. All right. We're leaving the inn, right? We are setting out on the road through Bree. They tramped off, anxious and downhearted, under the eyes of the crowd. Not all the faces were friendly, nor all the words that were shouted. But Strider seemed to be held in awe by most of the Breelanders, and those that he stared at shut their mouths and drew away. He walked in front with Frodo. Next came Merry and Pippin, and last came Sam, leading the pony, which was laden with as much of their baggage as they had the heart to give it but already it looked less dejected, as if it approved of the change in its fortunes. Sam was chewing an apple thoughtfully. He had a pocket full of them, a parting present from Nob and Bob. Apples for walking and a pipe for sitting, he said, but I reckon I'll miss them both before long. The hobbits took no notice of the inquisitive heads that peeped out of doors or popped over walls and fences as they passed, but as they drew near to the further gate, Frodo saw a dark, ill-kempt house, ill-kept house, sorry, uh, behind a thick hedge, the last house in the village. In one of the windows he caught a glimpse of a sallow face with sly, slanting eyes, but it vanished at once. So that's where that southerner is hiding, he thought. He looks more than half like a goblin. Okay. Um, first of all, I, I, I love the fact that Bill Fernie's house is the last house in the village, right? Bill Fernie is already a marginal figure in Bree, right? He's a Bree, you know, he's he's a resident of Bree Town, barely, right? He lives on the outskirts of town. He's still inside the gates, right? But he's, uh, it's like he's not fully acclimated in the town, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah, Tomas, the last not-so-homely house, absolutely. Um, uh, And Gilgonthir, I absolutely agree with you that the fact that Nob and Bob the two rhyming persons combined for a gift of apples to Sam, right? Like, Hobbit, 
right? He's obviously a hobbit. They're really, they're really, I mean, it's hard to imagine how there could be two opinions, uh, on this, uh, on that particular subject. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, what else was I going to emphasize here? The first, the reaction of the Brelanders, right? We get the curiosity of the people, right? They, you know, as they're walking on their sort of parade through town, um, it isn't like people are lining the streets like they would in an actual, um, in, in an actual parade. <laughs> I see. Uh, most Majorum just checked in on Twitter in order to say that Bob isn't a hobbit, right? <laughs> I defy you, sir. Prove Sorry. it. Um, Oh, here's Siri breaking in now also probably to say that she thinks that uh, Bob isn't a hobbit. Um, whatever. I will hear no objections. Um, okay. So they're not lining the streets like it's a parade, right? Uh, they're peeking out. And notice that um, uh, the hobbits take no notice of them, right? So this is, you know, we can't imagine the hobbits kind of waving to the crowds as they go by, right? They're just kind of ignoring the people that are that are watching them. Um Sam is more focused on the apple that he's eating and the pony uh, that he's leading. Um, but um, uh, they're shouting unkind words, right? The faces are not all friendly. Um, I love the, the negative uh, uh, way that that sentence is constructed, right? Not all the faces were friendly, nor all the words that were shouted, right? Um, which is... It, it the, the 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 construction of that sentence l- lays an interesting emphasis on things, right? It doesn't say the crowd is hostile, right? The crowd isn't hostile. Um, that those statements would be much more emphatic if it were hostile. If the the crowd were simply a hostile crowd, right? If this were a mob uh, that were gathering around, not all the faces were friendly. Suggests. Many of them were friendly, right? But it doesn't state that in a positive sense either, because that would create the wrong impression. If he said, many of the faces were friendly, and many of the words that were shouted were also friendly, but some of them weren't, right? And if he said it that way, it would create this, like, generally positive impression. That's not the way that the hobbits experience this, right? The memory of the hobbits as they think about this uh, this moment is one that they're more aware of the unfriendly faces and the unfriendly words that are shouted, right? And yet, Tolkien conveys that's not universal, right? Breland is not full of mean people shouting at hobbits as they go through. Um, they are... Um, um, uh, belongs to exactly. Positive words are said. Many of the people are friendly. Um, that, again, that's not what makes the impression. And in a sense, that's kind of not what's most important. What's most important is the fact that some are unfriendly. Um, uh, but uh, nevertheless, it does, Tony, exactly, it does kind of lean on the um, the unfriendly ones, even though by that sentence, I would imagine they're actually in the minority, right, of the people who are lining the street. Um, one other brief point. First of all, Really interesting that um, Sam becomes our sort of point of view character here, right? Um, that we, 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 we sort of leave... 
we leave the town of Bree not just alongside Frodo and Strider up at the front of the column, right? But alongside Sam and the pony uh, at the rear of the column. Um, and we, uh, we get, um, uh, we get some, some of Sam's talk here, right? Self-talk, right? Talking to himself. Apples for walking and a pipe for sitting. But I reckon I'll miss them both before long. Um, is this, is he quoting something? Is that a saying? Apples for walking and a pipe for sitting, right? I can I can understand this in two ways, right? I could understand this as this just being Sam thinking these things through to himself, right? That he's kind of reflecting on the fact that walking along, eating an apple is parallel to sitting and smoking a pipe, right? That those two things are in some ways kind of um, uh, kind of parallel states, right? Uh, I could definitely imagine... Um, Sam basically thinking that way, right? Sam having that kind of response here. Um, or it might actually be an aphorism, right? Um, that, uh, you know, apples for walking and a pipe for sitting, and then he comments on it, right? But I reckon I'll miss them both before long. Um, I think uh, Evil Dr. Cannon, I also always kind of took it as a saying, but I never really fully... Uh, thought it through. Yeah, Gladys Rabbit, exactly. Like, uh, feed a cold and starve a fever. That that type of saying, that kind of traditional saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it may very well be a saying like that. And then again, he's just kind of... Uh, so he's commenting on the fact that he's sort of fitting in with that traditional saying, but then he's commenting on it. And notice his comment, right? Um, but I reckon I'll miss them both before long. This is something that we will see a lot of, right? Sam is pessimistic. Frequently, pervasively at times, pessimistic, right? Um, This isn't a really uh, noticeable element of Sam's character. When he reflects on this, his reflection is not... So apples for walking and a pipe for sitting. We know what a pipe for sitting means to them. Right. We know that's a positive thing. Um, And, you know, we can see from the ways that, you know, pipes are utilized throughout the text that a pipe for sitting conveys ideas of camaraderie and relaxation and, uh, um, you know, sort of good times and and, uh, 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 you know, taking it easy and things like that. And that uh, so presumably apples for walking are similar, right? Are kind of parallel in a way. So here he is with an apple for walking. All's right with the world, right? If he were sitting, it's just like if he were sitting down and had a pipe, right? So he here he is fulfilling this proverb, which if it is a proverb, and if we're understanding that correctly, seems to suggest it's like an all's right with the world kind of proverb, right? But instead of reflecting that all's right with the world, instead of being like, hey, so here I am, right? I'm in this slightly scary town where like bunches of freakish things have been happening and like somebody tried to break in and kidnap or murder us last night and all of our ponies just got stolen and now we're going off into the dark with this guy I don't a hundred percent trust and there are black riders all around and we're probably all going to die within 24 hours but hey i got an apple right uh and I, I so here i am apple for walking right um 
that would seem to be right the relevance of quoting that uh like he's trying to keep his own spirits up or something like that right but no that's not sam's point of view right sam's point of view is not okay yeah i've got an apple for walking but that hardly uh you know outweighs like the great danger that master and i are, are in right no his line of thinking is but I'll probably run out of apples before too long, right? Pretty soon I'm not going to have either apples nor pipe, right? You know, it's like, uh, it can't last, right? That seems to, that's Sam's, that's Sam's reaction. Um, and he, he, he's not expressing concern about their situation or fear for the future or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's just, yeah, I reckon I'll miss them both before long. Um, uh, and that's fascinating, right? Um, it's an, imp- it's, it's, this is, this is something that I think, uh, is going to be really important to be kind of tracking as we go through, right? There are a couple things that I want to draw attention to, uh, in this whole sequence, uh, uh, in this chapter, uh, where we see a couple things which I really want to kind of put on our radar screen to be coming back to, right? One of these is Sam's pessimism. Look out for Sam's pessimism. We've already seen some of it, right? Um, we see we see some of it in the inn, right? With his resistance to Strider, right? He's the one who's thinking up the sort of worst case scenarios, right? About this guy who's offering to lead them out into the dark, far from help, right? Um, so we've already seen his tendency to be less quick to trust, certainly, than Frodo. But being less, you know, being more cautious is not the same as being pessimistic, right? This is simply like, I'm going to look at the dark side, not the dark side of things exactly, but Aslan's compass exactly. More puddle glum-ish, right? Sam is definitely more puddle glum-ish for Narnia fans. We'll know what I'm, what we're talking about with that. Um, so let's keep an eye on this. Let's keep an eye on Sam's like situations in which Sam not only is pessimistic, but voices pessimism and reactions to that and contrast between Sam's perspective and the perspective of others, especially Frodo. Right. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's be on the lookout for that because I'm going to be really interested to see. It's not going to go away. I mean, ever Sam in his most heroic moments is still going to talk like this, right? Sam in Mordor, you know, bringing Frodo along by the, you know, strength of his own will is, is Sam's own will is going to still talk like this. Uh, so it's not, I think this is not a trivial element, uh, of his character. And I think that Sam is not my, my, my kind of hypothesis here. I'll share my hypothesis at the beginning here, why I want to be looking at this throughout the text. Um, I don't think that Sam, like that Sam's pessimism is meant to be merely like, one small black mark on an otherwise awesome and heroic character, right? It's clearly bound up with what enables him to be heroic. Um, and I'm fascinated to see it's not what I would have expected, right? Um, and so I want to be really, uh, uh, looking at that as we move, as we move through. Um, pessimistic but undaunted. Exactly. Exactly. Evil Dr. Cannon. That's right. Um, but, um, but so let's, um, let's, Let's see what happens as we go through. Uh, and as usual, when I when I talk like this and I sort of say, let's let's look at this, a bunch of you are offering conclusions, right? 
It's too early for conclusions, man. We're at the beginning of the data gathering phase, right? You must gather your data before we draw conclusions, right? So let's finish drawing, uh, 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 gathering data, and then we'll come back to the, We will revisit this question in another five years. Um, and, uh, and that'll be good. Okay. Um, the other thing, by the way, a little sneak preview, the, um, the other thing that I want to be looking at that's going to come up, if not tonight, probably not tonight, but, uh, certainly next week, um, is going to be Strider's decision-making. That's another thing I want to be tracking throughout the text. Okay. All right. Um, let's, uh, but, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll move forward there. Um, okay, we talked about the ill-keptness. Notice I accidentally said ill-kempt uh, as I was reading it through, but of course Tolkien would never use the word ill-kempt of a house because, of course, the word ill-kempt, um, uh, there's a reason why the, actually why that word is almost only ever used of 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 uh, 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 hair um, because kempt k e m p t uh, is from the Middle English word which just means combed. That was the Middle English past tense of, uh, comb. Um, if something is, uh, you, you comb something when something has been combed, when your hair has been combed, uh, then, uh, it has been kept. That was, it was a strong verb, uh, in middle English. Uh, so, uh, so unkempt, uh, is, is, it means it's uncombed, right? Uh, and of course you don't comb a house or so Tolkien wouldn't, wouldn't use that word there. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, exactly. I see Tarlonio was, uh, was, uh, was joking about that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the house does, could probably use to comb its hair, but, um, anyhow. Okay. Frodo's observation about the Southerner, right? He looks more than half like a goblin. Is an interesting remark, right? Frodo's never seen a goblin before. <laughs> uh, uh, that's just one thing that really kind of jumps out at me about this. Um, he's very ugly and he's very ugly in a way, which is clearly leading Frodo to look at him and say, that guy is not just ugly. He's not normal, ugly, right? He looks like he is not fully human. Right. And, you know, whoever contributed the rest of his genes, um, you know, ugly, right? Uh, certainly, Bilbo has described goblins. I'm sure of that. Um, you know, uh, Vasa and Tony are asking, you know, would Bilbo have made drawings? Possibly. Uh, can't rule it out. Um, but um, but certainly, he would have gotten enough verbal descriptions to kind of know what, you know at least kind of the spirit of how goblins look, right? And so it's a logical kind of thing for him to say. So I think that the, the again, the two things that he's saying are, this guy, there's something, there's something odd about this guy. He's not just a particularly ugly fellow. Um, he's not human, not fully human. And the thing contributing the rest of his genes, again, not really attractive at all. Um, and Aruron asks, uh, is there a difference between this Southerner and the concept of the half-orc, you know, as presented in Lotro? Um, well, as for the presentation of half-orcs in, in Lotro, even within the game, there's like, there's half-orcs and then there's half-orcs, right? Um, and, uh, 
it's very clear that there is a kind of spectrum, right? Um, when Mary and Pippin are going to allude back to this guy, right, the Southerner that they met in Bree, um, in the context of describing the half-orcs and goblin men that they saw in Isengard, um, they're going to say that he, the squint-eyed Southerner here that Frodo is seeing through a window, um, is not so obviously orc-like as many of the ones that they saw in Isengard, right? Um, so it's fairly clear that there are variations, right? And that this guy is more human-looking than the rest of them, which, again, can lead you right away uh, to projecting or speculating on the backstory, which, of course, we know that Tolkien was going to go on to give this guy, um, that it's not a coincidence, right? That he was chosen from among Saruman's half-orcs and goblin men because he was one of the most human-looking of the lot, right? Uh, And so he was sent as a spy um, where he was going to be considered unsavory in appearance, right, but not going to look monstrous, necessarily, uh, as apparently some of the Isengarders would have looked. Um, So, anyway, that's um, uh, uh, that backstory, you know, that he's been sent as a spy by Saruman into these lands is only hinted at, or rather, to say it another way, that backstory is kind of nascent in the story, right? It's not yet been brought out, but the elements which are going to contribute to it are already there, right? Uh, Tolkien's not going to come up with that story until afterwards, but, um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Tarloniel says, guess they were wrong about that look fair and fuel foul thing. Right. Well, not all of the servants of the enemy are going to look fair, right? Um, and looking fair is still a relative term, right, Terlonio? I mean, compared to the other half-orcs in Isengard, this one is this one is fair looking, right? So, you know, it's all relative. Depends on your depends on your frame of reference. Um Yeah. Um Yeah, and Tony uh, that that is interesting. Tony says, could this be a linguistic thing? Goblin originally meant something vaguely like monster, so maybe Frodo means it in this sense. Possibly. Uh, that is um, I think that it is true that we need to be careful. Um, the desire to not only make goblins and orcs clearly distinguishable species, right, um, with different cultural backgrounds and histories and things. A lot of people want to do that. We can see that in uh, uh, in Lotro, of course. Um, that's definitely a, that's definitely a thing that happens, but. I, you know, there's, there's little evidence for that. Uh, we know that there are different subspecies of orcs. It's not clear that the word goblin specifies a different one, right? It's just, that seems to be really a linguistic background thing. Um, orc, you know, goblin is derived from traditional, uh, fairy tale vocabulary. Orc is derived from Elvish. So it's, seems to be as simple as that, not to be delineating different subspecies. Um, but Tony, in addition, even apart from that, um, we do always assume that when people say goblin, they are speaking with like scientific precision about orcs necessarily. Um, I think that we have some evidence that that's not necessarily true. Tony here, I think particularly of Fatty Bulger's nurse, 
right? Fatty Bulger's nurse told him stories about the old forest, that there were wolves and goblins in the forest. Now, wolves and goblins often go together, as they do in The Hobbit. Uh, that is, uh, actual goblins, orcs of the Misty Mountains. Um, so it's conceivable, of course, that Fatty's nurse was telling him stories of actual, that there were orcs as well as wolves living in the old forest. But I do not think that, um, I do not think that that, uh, is the only way to understand what Fatty's, uh, well, what Mary is characterizing Fatty's nurse as having done, right? Um, uh, and so Tony here again, just thinking about exactly what you were saying, um, when Mary refers to goblins as something that Fatty's nurse scared him with, right, about the old forest, it seems to me entirely possible that he is using the word goblin in a very vague sense, like boogeymen, right? That there are, like, you know, things that go bump in the night, right, in the old forest, um, and that he was using the word goblin um, to characterize those things, um, which he, Mary, is rejecting, right? He's saying it with, well, I don't want to say scorn, that would be a little bit harsh, but um, but he doesn't really take it take it seriously. Um so, um, so Tony, I do think that there's a certain amount. So it, it, is it possible that when Frodo says here, he looks more than half like a goblin, he merely means there's something kind of monstrous here, right? That he doesn't mean he's a half orc, right? Specifically. Um, uh, and certainly I think one way or the other, it's kind of a stretch to think that Frodo is here thinking, Huh, somebody seems to have engaged in some kind of hideous crossbreeding program between humans and orcs, and that this guy is a product of that, uh, of that, uh, you know, hideous genetic experiment. I don't think that that's what lies behind Frodo's words here either, right? Um, uh, in fact, he might mean this as nothing more than an insult. Aragorn, exactly. He could just mean this guy is really ugly, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that is, in a sense, what he means. But there is that sense of, he, again, not garden variety ugly, right? Just monstrous, right? There's something, there's something almost unhuman about this guy. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, we'll see. Um, um, uh, it'd be another project. See, look, I'm giving lots of projects, right? Somebody needs to keep track of these. Somebody keeping track of this. Somebody should keep track of these. Um, uh, when I talk about long-term projects, then we need to check up on these. In fact, you guys should track this stuff. Somebody needs to track this stuff. We need this on a website somewhere. Put it in the discussion board, right? We need a thread for these things. Um, uh, we need to... Um, we need to... To, to, to list the long-term projects. Remember, we, are, we already have things, because I'm going to forget about them, right? Things like the directions when they use East and West, uh, capitalized or non-capitalized, right? That's one that we've been looking at. Um, I want to do a kind of longitudinal study of a bunch of these things. So here's another one, the use of the word goblin, right? Um, that I think is really cool. Like why why do who uses the word goblin and why do they use the word goblin? The word orc, of course, is goblin is used almost continuously throughout the Hobbit. The word orc only appears twice uh, in uh, the Hobbit. Um, 
So it's, it's, it's very clear that goblin is just the primary word for those things. In The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, that shifts, and orc is the primary word that is used uh, instead of goblin, but goblin still does creep in, which makes it, for me, a word of interest, right? Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's do that. So, um, and yeah, Matt, no, nobody knows about half orc. So again, I, I, I think if we're, if, if we're mentally translating Frodo's words here as somebody has conducted a hideous, a hideous genetic experiment, that's inappropriate. Clearly Frodo's not thinking that, right? Frodo would be as shocked as anybody to discover that Saruman in fact is, that this guy is in fact half a goblin, right? In literal cold, hard truth. Um, that's clearly not. Whatever Frodo's thinking, he's clearly not thinking that. I think that that's got to be that's got to be certain. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, okay, cool. Um, let's uh, let's keep going. But again, I need a volunteer. I need or more than one volunteer. We've got we've we've got a discussion board, right? Let's 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 post some threads. Let's keep track of these things. We need to we need to be collecting this. Uh, Collecting this data uh, for future for future reference. Okay, all right. Um, good. Hey, I have an idea. Let's hit Bill Fernie in the face with an apple at last. Over the hedge, another man was staring boldly. He had heavy black brows and dark, scornful eyes. His large mouth curled in a sneer. He was smoking a short black pipe. As they approached, he took it out of his mouth and spat. "'Morning, Longshanks,' he said. "'Off early. Found some friends at last?' Strider nodded, but did not answer. "'Morning, my little friends,' he said to the others. "'I suppose you know who you've taken up with. That's stick it not Strider, that is. I th- though I've heard other names not so pretty. Watch out tonight. And you, Sammy, don't go ill-treating my poor old pony.' "'Pah!' he spat again. Sam turned quickly. "'And you, Fernie,' he said, "'put your ugly face out of sight or it will get hurt.' With a sudden flick, quick as lightning, an apple left his hand and hit Bill square on the nose. He ducked too late, and curses came from behind the hedge. "'Waste of a good apple,' said Sam regretfully, and strode on. Okay. Um, one of my favorite scenes. I love this, uh, this Sam scene. Um... Uh, Belongsmon has always wondered about the other names that Fernie heard. Me too, right? They're obviously not suitable for a family-friendly uh, read, but um, uh, but it would be interesting, right? To know <clears throat> for purely scientific reasons, it would be interesting to know uh, what were the other names not so pretty uh, as Stick It Not Strider. Right. But we can see the direction, right, that uh, uh, he gives Strider two names. Right. Uh, One is Longshanks and the other is Stick It Not Strider. Longshanks is fairly neutral. Right. Um, In the I mean, it just means he's tall. Your shank is the lower part of your leg. Right. Uh, So if he's called Longshanks, uh, it means, yeah, I know I always think of the King of England, too. Um, uh, Edward Longshanks. But anyway, uh, if you if you're called Longshanks, it just means you're tall, which he is. Right. Aragorn is tall. Um, There is every reason uh, to believe that 
Strider is taller, is the tallest person in Bree, right? He's a, he's of, of pure Numenorean descent. Uh, they were very tall. So yeah, I'm sure that, that Strider probably towers over Bill Fernie. I, I would, uh, I would have to imagine, uh, that Bill Fernie has given up six to eight inches to Aragorn, right? Um, so calling him Longshanks is kind of, um, Passive aggressive, right? Um, you're way taller than I am, so I'm gonna make fun of, 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 of your height, right? But that's kind of weak. Uh, it's certainly not any kind of an actual criticism, um, of, um, of Strider. Stick it, not Strider is much more direct, right? Um, uh, so stick it, not, uh, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, Stick it not, I don't believe, has anything to do with sticking things. That is, he's not accusing Strider of stabbing at nothing vainly. Uh, I, I, I never actually thought of that reading before. I kind of, I kind of like that, actually. Uh, the idea that he's, he's, because Tony, he's got no, he's got no primary weapon, right? So how can he stick anything at all, right? Um, no, exactly. Mad violinist. It means stopping at nothing. Completely unscrupulous. He will stick at nothing. Um, so yeah, he will stop at no deed. He, he will, um, there is nothing he won't do basically. Right. Um, that's how I would translate stick it not. Um, he is, he is willing to do anything. Right. Um, there, there's, there's nothing that he would, that he would stick at in the, in that sense. It is a very, unusual from a modern English, certainly a modern American, uh, use of the word stick. Um, uh, so th- and that's, I'm pretty sure that that's what stick it not is meant to convey. That's what Bill Fernie means when he says, uh, when he says stick it not, um, because notice the context, right? I suppose, you know, who you've taken up with that stick it, not strider. That is right. Uh, watch out tonight. He says, right. He, this guy will do anything. Right. Um, it's like not just that you're not safe with this guy, right? You've taken up with this guy. Right. So what's he doing? He's trying to sow dissension among them. Right. He's got to guess that the hobbits are leery of this guy. Right. Um, who he probably imagines rightly. Right. That they've just met for the first time. Um, but, um, um, but anyway, he, so he, and so he seems to be trying to play on their fears, right? Um, I'm betting they're worried, right? What's going to happen to them tonight, right? What's going to happen to them when they camp for the night? Uh, and the, the first time they're alone with this guy out in a dark place, far from help. That in fact was Sam's concern, right? Um, and so here he is telling him, yeah, you guys better watch out, right? That's stick it, not Strider. You know, he's, uh, there is no dark deed, uh, that he will, um, uh, that he won't do probably for fun. Right. Um, so yeah, so that, that I pretty firmly believe stop at nothing. Yeah, exactly. Carita, um, is what Bill Fernie intends when he says that, um, a couple of you are suggesting, um, that it has to do with, um, um, that it has to do with like lack of staying powder, right? Staying power, not powder, uh, power. Um, 
stick in the sense of persevere in something, right? Um, so stick it not meaning that he is shiftless, that he's a loser, right? That he uh, uh, never stays with anything. So that the relevance of that insult then would be that uh, he's probably just going to give up and abandon you, right? You've put your trust in this guy and he's totally unreliable, right? Um, that I think um, can work, right? Um, I think that that can work, but I don't... My primary reason for not really liking that reading is that I think it's kind of lame. That is to say, it would be a lame insult by Bill Fernie, right? If he's going to try to plant doubts in the minds of the hobbits, the idea that Strider might uh, soon just kind of lose interest and wander away would leave them in a bad place. There's no, no question about that, but it's not, you know... Uh, yeah, exactly, Boomful. It's not as good in context, right? It, it seems kind of feeble for Bill Fernie, really. Um, uh, um, but uh, anyway, okay, so... Um, yeah, yeah. So no, like I said, I, 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 I can see... Uh, Interesting. Wheelrider says he's seen Stick It Not uh, in a YA novel or two set in Victorian times, meaning shiftless or doesn't follow through. You know what, Wheelrider? I would bet that those people are getting it from this phrase, and I think they're misunderstanding it. Uh, that seems to me actually kind of evidence of the widespread, I would say, widespread misunderstanding of this phrase, actually. Um if you saw it meaning that uh, in a piece of actual 19th century literature, that I think would be a really interesting piece of evidence. Um, um, but I don't, uh, um, I don't think that that's, I, I, I don't think that's the primary meaning of this at all. Um, especially, and so, and here's, here, here's the other thing. I think if, if he meant that he was, you know, feckless and unreliable and didn't have sticking power. Um, he's using the wrong pro the wrong pro preposition, right? That would be stick to not, right? Not stick at not. It'd be stick to not. If he said stick to not, it would mean he doesn't stick with anything, right? Stick at specifically means, uh, what you won't stop from doing, Right. He doesn't stick at that. Um, that phrase, um, uh, stick at something, is uh, um, has that specific meaning of, like, you will not... Uh, um, that's something he won't stick at, uh, meaning uh, he was... Or, like, you know, he would stick at that, right? But, but you know, he he would go this far, but he'd stick at that, right? There's, there's, there's something he wouldn't do. Um, uh, so... Um, so yeah, yeah, I would, um, uh, I'm doubtful. I'm doubtful that that's what Bill Fernie meant. I mean, it's interesting because it, it does fit, right? It does fit, uh, the whole idea of Strider being, uh, rootless and, uh, a wanderer and a vagabond, right? Uh, it, it, it kind of works. I mean, apart from the fact that it's sort of lame, 
as a, as an insult. Uh, Karita says her, her, she, she guesses her standards for Bill Fernie were always kind of low, right? And I see, I, but you know, I don't know, like my opinion of, uh, kind Master Fernie has gone up a fair bit, uh, in this reading of the Lord of the Rings, I have to admit. Um, I'm not saying that I'm quite in the, uh, that I'm quite in the Bill Fernie evil genius criminal mastermind kind of camp, but you know, I'm closer to there than I was before. I, my, uh, uh, you know, not moral respect for Bill Fernie, but my estimate of Bill Fernie's brains and, uh, resourcefulness has certainly increased. Um, I would not at all be surprised, uh, to find, uh, um, I would certainly not not be at all surprised to find uh, that Bill Fernie was the leader of the brigands who attacked Bree. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, not the Napoleon of crime, Tom. No, not exactly. But uh, um, but uh, but you know, uh, still kind of a still kind of a go getter. I think. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, okay, there we go. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, Rach has found, uh, some evidence to support the stopping at nothing reading. Um, a, uh, quotation from a, a poem in four cantos from the, uh, ni- early 19th, mid 19th century. Besides the king, though dear he buy it, will stick it not to purchase quiet. There you go. That's the that's the sense. Yes, he will stick it not to purchase. There's nothing he won't do in order to purchase quiet. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Um. Yeah. Good. Good. Um. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Morodo says Bill Fernia, quality henchman. That's it. But but you know, like okay, right, yes. Uh he is um I think he could be a good uh right hand man to an evil genius, right? Uh absolutely. Um he clearly is trying to audition for uh like local thug leader uh under the you know uh, like umbrella of the Nazgul, right? You know, he's, uh, like the, uh, he's going to be part of the new world order here in Bree, uh, and wants to be definitely on the right end of that or what he believes to be the right end of that. Um, but, um, so yeah, JJ, I agree. Bill Fernie is building up his resume. So again, lame insult. No, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to really, sh- uh, uh, send in a zinger here. And, but again, notice this is not just about venting his spleen, uh, at Strider, right? Great medieval phrase that venting your spleen. The spleen, of course, everybody knows what your spleen. You know what your spleen does, right? Your spleen is where laughter and anger come from, right? Uh, everybody knows that. Uh, so when you vent your spleen on somebody, it's it means you. That's that's why it means letting loose your anger. Uh, so anyway, um, so he's not just venting his. He's not just he's not just insulting Strider for fun, right? Um, he's uh, he's doing the work of the Nazgul, right? He's pursuing the agenda here. He is trying to make the, to, to, to sow discord among Strider and the hobbits, right? He doesn't really know. He certainly doesn't know who Strider is. Um, he may think that this is kind of a desperate move by the hobbits, right? Um, in fact, if you're Bill Fernie, right? Imagine yourself, you're, you're Bill Fernie. How are you interpreting this? Right. Um, 
you're surprised, presumably surprised, to find that Strider is leaving town with the hobbits. How did that come about, right? You probably don't have any reason to believe that Strider himself sought this out, right? So if I'm Bill Fernie, I've got to be thinking that these hobbits are terrified, right? I, Bill Fernie, have been succeeding, right? And these hobbits are, are, they're so terrified that they have sunk to trying, like the best they could do to try to help themselves out of their situation is probably hire Strider, right? Um, so they've, they've hired a local guide. That would not be an unknown thing to do, right? But they're so desperate. They've hired this local guide and they got Strider, right? Strider, sticking out Strider, Longshanks, right? Um, and, uh, and so he's laughing, He's laughing at them, right? Oh my, seriously? Like that's your, that's your solution to this problem? Uh, you're going to try to get out of this uh, trap that I have enclosed you in? Kind of cunningly, I, I have to say, if I say so myself, um, by hiring Strider to be your guide through the forest? That is hilarious, right? Um, and so what's he trying to, so he's trying to make them question their, uh, their, their business move here. Um, I think, yeah, Belong's mind, he is proud of himself. I, 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 that's definitely how I read Bill Fernie here, not as just vitriolic, but as smug, right? Um, uh, this is great. Yeah, laughing until an apple hits him in the face. Um, why does Sam hit him in the face with an apple? Sam turned quickly. And you, Fernie, put your ugly face out of sight or it will get hurt. And with a sudden flick, quick as lightning, an apple left his hand and hit Bill square on the nose. Um, I, the fact that he's uh, still cursing from behind the, the hedge, I do like to imagine that Sam actually broke his nose uh, with that apple. Um, what's he... Uh, what's he... Why is Sam hucking apples at Bill Fernie's face? What is it that prompts him uh, to do that? Uh, and Tilly and I agree. Um, uh, I agree that he um, uh, he he doesn't. Um, Tilly, you're right. Hobbits are exceptional, you know, throwers. That's absolutely true. Um, Curita says Sam hits him in the face because someone had to. Uh, yeah, okay, I, I can kind of accept that too. Um, uh, Blue Wizard says he never should have called him Sammy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it, now, let's unpack that for a second, right? Nobody calls Sam Sammy, right? And by calling him Sammy, he's clearly meaning to be insulting to Sam, right? Um uh, he is that diminutive. Sammy sounds like something you would call a kid, right? Like a, a, a little boy. I mean, I think it's meant to be, this is a, this is a non-endearing diminutive by Bill Fernie, right? Um, so, yeah, um, Katriana says that she thinks Sam is uh, sees through him and knows that he's just talking smack to try to get to them. Possibly. Uh, that is a possible theory. I don't think so, though. I don't think so. Uh, again, look at the timing. 
what's the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? Um, I mean, uh, he could have hucked an apple at Bill Fernie's face the moment his ugly face came in sight, right? They've got enough reason. Um, there is every reason to think that Bill Fernie has been spending his evening stealing horses and uh, murdering bolsters. So, uh, you know, uh, chucking an apple at his face, I think, would be defensible. Um, but that's not when it happens, right? Um off early, found some friends at last, right? No apple. That's just directed at Strider, right? And by the way, um, I, that's, again, I have to give Bill for any credit. That's a legitimately funny line, right? Off early, right? Come on, that's really funny. We, especially when we know that Strider's you know, that like Frodo's original plan was to, you know, was to leave by dawn. Right. And both of them were agreed, like, we've got to leave as, as soon as possible. Uh, and for Bill Fernie to be taunting him with, you know, as they're leaving at almost noon. Right. To be like, so off early strider, are we? Right. And that's that's funny. That's really good. And I think that's also why I think that he's giving a good insult, not a bad insult later on. Um, he, he's up at the crack of noon. Exactly. Valori. That's uh, that's the uh that's the thing. Anyway, I agree uh, with uh, with many of you. It's it's not until we get to the mistreatment of the pony, right, that Bill Fernie takes one in the nose, right? Um, uh, and interestingly, when he is saying that stick it not strider, that is, though I've heard other names not so pretty, watch out tonight. It's noticeable, it's noteworthy, I guess I would say, that Bill Fernie is here echoing Sam's own thoughts, right? Sam said almost exactly that same thing. Not that he didn't call him Stick It Not Strider, he's not making accusations against him, but like that we should watch out, right? That we might not be safe if we let him lead us away far from help. That was Sam's fear. That was Sam's uh, expressed concern. And here it's being echoed. By Bill Fernie, right? So that has to make Sam at least a little bit uncomfortable, right? Um, but uh, but uh, that is not what leads to the apple, right? And you, Sammy, don't go ill-treating my poor old pony. And then he spits, right? That is the apple uh, inviting line, right? Uh, and if we look at that, if we unpack that sentence a little bit, it's again, Bill Fernie is not only just unpleasant, he's clever, right? This is funny too. I mean, it's darkly funny or it's insultingly funny, right? But when he, you know, when, when Bill the Pony, you know, he, he, he has half starved and, and ill treated this pony, right? Um, when the biggest compliment that can be given to this pony after they purchase it is that it doesn't look like dying yet. Right. Um, Strider expects that it's going to be on death's door. Right. So he has neglected and abused this pony to the brink of, but not quite to death. Right. And in that context, knowing that. Right. And as a, a an, an, op an open, almost acknowledgement of that fact, Bill Fernie tells Sam not to go ill-treating his poor old pony, right? Making a joke 
of the neglect and the ill treatment that he himself has given it. But more than that, making fun of Sam objecting to the ill treatment, right? It's like, it's not just that he knows he ill-treated the pony and doesn't care. It's that he knows that Sam does care that he ill-treated the pony, right? That he knows that Sam cares very much is, is, you know, that he knows that Sam is, is upset about the fact that this pony was so ill-treated. Um, and, uh, and knowing that Sam is upset about that, he turns it around and taunts him with it, right? Don't go ill-treating my pony now, right? And then spits, spits, uh, in disdain at the idea of anybody who cares about the pony, right? Um, uh, at the, you know, this idea of like, again, like in anybody who is bothered, uh, by the, uh, by the, the ill treatment of ponies in general, right? Uh, exactly, Karita. He thinks that animal abuse is funny. And so therefore, Karita says, obviously he needed his face rearranged. That's exactly it, right? And Sam seems to think the same thing. This is what Sam chiefly objects to, right? Um, uh, Sam's response to Bill Fernie mocking him for caring that the pony was ill treated. And for Sam, obviously intending to cease the ill treatment of this, to see that this pony does not get ill treated anymore, right? Um, you know, they put as much baggage on it as they had a heart to give it, right? Um, Sam is so offended by uh, by the disdain that's 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 shown his uh, uh, his. Um, desire to to treat the pony well and his objections to its being ill-treated that he is drawn into an act of spontaneous violence and it's not just spontaneous violence this is not just like somebody hauling back and punching somebody in the face in a bar right um this is a significant piece of violence based on what we saw before right uh, that is we know what the apple for walking is. Thanks to the proverb that he quoted before, assuming that that is a proverb, um, we know that an apple for walking is parallel to a pipe for sitting, right? If you're sitting there quietly smoking a pipe like Bilbo having just finished his second breakfast in chapter one of The Hobbit out on the lawn, um, the idea that, like, imagining somebody like Bilbo sitting there smoking his pipe and blowing smoke rings that are floating up over the hill above him when Gandalf comes. Imagining that conversation between Gandalf and Bilbo going so badly that Bilbo is inspired to take his pipe and throw it at Gandalf's face, that's really jarring, right? Like, something really bad would have had to happen before you end up throwing your pipe at somebody, right? Because this thing which is in your hand, which is associated with and indeed is part of this sort of atmosphere of um, of of peace and comfort and relaxation, right? To, to, to take that object and instead transform it into a projectile, right? To whip at somebody's face. That's a huge shift, right? That's a really, really important change. Um, and, uh, so we can see how much Sam was provoked by this. Um, so that this apple for walking has now been turned into, uh, into a projectile weapon. Uh, to hurl at Bill Fernie's uh, uh, face. But of course, he doesn't justify it. Gilgonthir, exactly as you say, um, uh, he immediately regrets it. Right? Waste of a good apple. 
said Sam regretfully uh, as he strode on, right? The true function of an apple is to be eaten in thoughtful peacefulness as you walk, right? Not to be thrown at people's faces, even when their faces really deserve to be hit with something. Um, and Karita, yes, you're right, that apple was too good uh, for Bill Fernie and his face. Uh, exactly so. Um, so, um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Lincoln says it's the it's only the second legitimate hit anyone in the party has landed on an enemy, right? Yes, Frodo hacked off the, uh, the hand, right? The creeping hand um, at the end of that arm. Uh, in uh, uh, in the barrow, right? So uh, he has cut off the hand of a barrow white, uh, and now Frodo has uh, hit Bill Fernie in the face with an apple. Uh, not a very combat-intensive experience, this quest, so far. Um, Mad Violinist does point out that they... Uh, like Frodo did kick Old Man Willow, that's true. You're absolutely right, Mad Violinist, but that was not... Uh, uh, necessarily very effective. Yes, they did score some uh, fire damage uh, on uh, Old Man Willow, but that was hardly exactly a combat thing. Um, uh, JJ asks if Sam is proficient in apples, or is this an improvised ranged weapon? Uh, I think the latter, but of course, hobbits have a racial bonus on improvised ranged weapons, so that's okay. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, Okay, good. Uh, yes, Catriona, I agree. It's not that he regrets the act of violence in itself, right? Um, I don't think he regrets hitting Bill Fernie in the face. I think, uh, as Catriona says, he wishes that he'd had a rock to throw. Uh, he'd, he'd had a rock in his hand instead of an apple, right? Um, I agree. I don't think he regretted pegging Bill Fernie at all. And, of course, we see this delightfully uh, uh, upheld that theory, Catron. Of course, when we return <clears throat> in the Return of the King, and when they see that Bill Fernie's house is boarded up, and Bill Fernie obviously doesn't live there anymore, when they return to Bree, um, and uh, and I think it's Mary says, "Do you think you killed him with that apple, Sam?" And Sam says, "I'm not so hopeful." No, it's Pippin. So I'm not so hopeful, Mister Pippin. Right? Uh, <laughs> I love that line. I'm not so hopeful. Um, uh, he would, uh, he, he could wish that he had killed him with that apple, but he doubts it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so good. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I think that was, uh, that was a good, a good two slides that we got to. And if you'll notice the next, the very next slide is the next sentence is, at last they left the village behind. So I am going to conclude that we got to the edge of Bree, right? We've passed Bill Fernie's house, which is the last house in the village. So my desire to get all the way through Bree and outside of Breeland, we're done, right? We did it. We accomplished that goal. We needed two slides and a couple hours to do it, but we absolutely, we absolutely got there. Um, yeah. Okay, very good. Um, so I'm going to say goodbye to folks on Twitter. Again, sorry for that glitch in the middle there. Uh, and um, uh, then we'll, 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 uh, we'll move on. So thanks, everybody, for joining me on Twitter. Again, we are going to be back. And for those of you who are signing off now, we will be back again next week. Uh, same time, I'll be away the week after that because the week after that, 
Tuesday the 17th uh, is the day of our official evaluative site visit for Signum University with the state of New Hampshire. So I'll be up in Concord all day long, um, probably into the evening as well. I may be home in time for class, but I don't think I'll be ready for class. I will have been very, very involved all day long. So probably no class in two weeks, but we definitely will have class um, uh, we'll have class next time. If you're wondering how we're doing a site visit when Signum is completely virtual, we are holding the site visit at the offices of the Department of Education up in Concord. Um, they're going to be hosting it. Almost everything we're doing is going to be virtual, of course. Uh, but we'll give them our tour of our vir- virtual campus, and we'll uh, they'll get to meet and interview lots of uh, Signum folks, students and faculty and staff and everybody. Um, uh, but we'll just be doing it virtually. In Concord, right? I'm going to come to their place to show them around because there's no point in them coming to my house. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that'll be fun. But anyway, so that's what's happening two weeks from today. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be uh, able to do class that night. But uh, but we will be here next week. So um, thank you, everybody, for joining me tonight. Uh, and it's time for the field trip. So if you want to join to uh, uh Join us for our field trip. Switch over to the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash SignumU. And I'll say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Thank you, guys. Boop. All right, where is it? There it is. Okay. And I will... There we go. All right. And here we are. Good evening, everybody. On is Valori tonight. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that works out for me. I'm actually going to be in a car coming. Coming back from Italy on the 17th, so. Oh, excellent. Well, there we go. There we go. Okay, good. Um, well, so I want to go back to Angmar tonight. We're going to go back to Angmar? We ready? Yep. We didn't get to finish with the necropolis, right? We're still in Imlad Balkoth or yeah, whatever that's right. it's called. Yeah. So we need to... We need to we need to finish... Well, there, there are way more ruins and graves to discover than we discovered last time, so... Oh so yeah, we're do that. Um, several people are saying I, I, we have to we have to show them the lore hall for our site visit. Uh, we'll see, we'll see about that. I'm not sure. I mean, I've been joking with the Department of Education folks about that. I'm not sure our evaluation team would consider that a very excellent use of their time. But who knows? Maybe <laughs> it'll come up. Um, yes, I know this looks like a video game. It's just a minute. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure we're quite at the stage in our relationship where I can be like, and here's our campus. Welcome. Um, but, That's the uh, fifth date. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe for uh, uh, for our uh, our like recertification process in three years. Anyway, okay. Uh, so <laughs> let's head out because we've got to go long ways around here. So we're going to head out. Here? Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's okay. So here's the problem. On the one hand, okay. going straight to Gathforth near would be quicker. Oops. Yes. Here I am missing the door, and that was cunning. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, it would be quicker. It's less distance. <sighs> It'd be quicker in distance, but I'm not sure it would be quicker in time. Because here's the problem: if we go to Gathforth near, well, then we're in Gathforth near, right? Yeah. And we haven't been to Gathforth near yet, nor have we been to anything in between Gathforth near and Imlad Balkhoth. So 
Okay. So uh, we go to O'Gare instead. I think that's probably what we should probably do. And anyway, I think a lot of people probably need to, will need to go the slow way if they don't have rep with the council of the North. Anyhow. Um, so yeah, I'm, so when we get together, I'm, I'm, I'm working my way up the road towards Gath Force near there. Um, so we'll get there eventually. And when we do, after we've explored Gath Force near, then we can start there and work outwards. So certainly right, as we so get up towards Karn Doom and, and that kind of thing, we can, uh, we okay. So Esteldine, Esteldine, yeah. Esteldine and then Algar and then across. Yeah. Cross country from there, but it shouldn't take us too long to ride cross country from there. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Zephan 12 was just saying that he just listened to the film film yeah, episode I just in saw which it too. I announced <laughs> exploring the Lord of the Rings and quotes me as saying, I couldn't promise that we will cover a, a chapter per week. Uh, yeah, that's true. So it will, quote unquote, take a while. It will take a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you weren't wrong. No, no, you can't, you can't Greetings. accuse me of, uh, having, um, um, Ooh, interesting. Oh. Raised expectations and not met them. So. That's right. That's right. I did not, uh, uh, I didn't sort of sell that short because um, no that was how i was thinking originally i was thinking uh something like a chapter a week but i'm like it'll probably take us more than a week to do some of those chapters ah <laughs> uh, yes yes because even at that rate it would have taken more than a year yeah know, to yeah do this class um, oh, I'm I'm reading like every night with my daughter, and I'm still contemplating. Oh, this is gonna we're gonna be doing this until well past Christmas. Yeah, definitely, definitely. She thinks it's going to be a summer vacation thing. Ha! Right. Not. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we only just got to Rivendell. Yeah, yeah. School's been out for a month and a half now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm working on, uh, my boys and I are listening to the audiobook as we, uh, Ooh, drive around fun. places together. So yeah, we're not, we're not actually in the Lord of the Rings yet. We're still in the Hobbit. We did the Silmarillion and now we're doing the Hobbit. Um, huh? by, uh, we should certainly have finished the Lord of the Rings before the end of next school year. Um, in fact, we may <laughs> end up going a little, we, we've got a long road trip coming up at the end of the summer. We, uh, are going on vacation. We're driving up to to Canada, driving up to Prince Edward Island. Um, oh, fun! We've gone like, <gasps> a few years. And a Green Gables home. Yeah, exactly. We actually uh, we went to um, um, my wife, big Ella Montgomery fan, huge Ella Montgomery fan. Oh, uh, um, me too. And uh, we actually went there. My wife and I actually went there for our, for our uh, honeymoon. Uh, we did our honeymoon. Uh, <gasps> at, at so Green cool. Gables. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, we've been going back there with the kids now for the last few years and that's been really cool, but it's like an 11 hour drive from Southern New Hampshire oh, to yeah. Prince Edward Island. So New Brunswick is long driving across New Brunswick. Um, yeah. and so of course we have the tradition of listening to Anne of Green Gables as we drive across Canada, uh, on the way to Prince Edward Island, but there's also the way home. Uh, and so we'll probably, uh, we'll probably finish the Hobbit on the way home, I would think, but, uh, uh, anyway, so then but maybe, they got narrating that. That sounds good. Yeah, 
My my kids wanted Danny Champion of the World and about a billion episodes of Welcome to Night Vale. <laughs> they're they're preteen now, so they're at that stage, you know, the dark <laughs> stage. Yeah. I can't wait until we get into Mordor with them. They're just gonna be like, Oh, it's so metal, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, this place is pretty metal. This is this is this is like emo metal though. It's just kind of sad metal. Out here in Angmar. <laughs> right. Yes it is. Yes it is. And oh, Tony says he found the uh uh online the version of the old uh, book on tape recording of Unfinished Tales. Yeah. Tony, I'll never forget the the day. It was like the day I won the internet. You know, like you know those days <sighs> when that happens and I found this was years ago. Um I found the old books on ta- a digital version of the old books on tape recording of Unfinished Tales and Book of Lost Tales volume 1 and 2. Those also exist. Um, they're the only volumes of the history of Middle Earth uh, ever to have been recorded uh, professionally. Um, they wow. don't really exist uh, legally anymore, but you can still occasionally find them. Um, uh, I don't understand why they don't exist. Okay, Unfinished Tales, I kind of do, because the mispronunciations <laughs> yeah, are really painful. I mean, like listening yeah, to the history yeah. of Goadriel and Celeborn for... Um, Oh. oh, boy, that chapter is painful to listen to. Oh, but, man. Um, uh, anyway, okay, so the uh, – Amalia is asking what – how old should a child be before you start reading Tolkien to them? That's a really interesting question. Um, ah, that is uh, a good question. And it, well, with, with my daughter, it was reverse psychology. I basically – she yeah. wanted to read The Hobbit because I was all about this stuff. Right. And I said, right. you're too young to read The Hobbit. And just to show me, she picked up the book and started reading, like, as angrily as she could. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. <laughs> Not an essay to a hole or nothing with a wind of herbs to the language, but that meant comfort. Mom, I can do it! <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, it just set it off. <laughs> Yeah. Well, see, exactly. I mean, it. Re- I mean, it, it really is very individual. I mean, one thing that I would say, I do think that it is like definitely possible uh, with many kids to read it to try too soon. Um, there are going to be a lot of kids. Not a, not all kids by any stretch, but there are going to be a lot of kids. We should probably take off writing here now that we're mostly yeah. out here. Oh yeah, um, let's go. Uh, there are many kids who are totally ready for it. And I certainly have known, you know, have heard from parents of very young children, you know, who are reading not only the Hobbit, but the Lord of the Rings together. And that's great. I, you know, that can totally happen. And, you know, it's like worth feeling it out, you know, and seeing if that, Mm -hmm. um, if that can happen. But honestly, the Lord of the Rings, especially is pretty tough sledding for kids. Um, uh, yeah. Goodness, uh, it's pretty tough sledding for some grown-ups, honestly. People don't write that way so much anymore. Um people Especially get his devotional language. The, yeah, exactly. The uh the, 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 the language, the register of it, the long stretches of landscape description. I mean, there are lots of people who consider the writing style of the Lord of the Rings kind of dull, and it's it's not always the easiest thing for uh for kids to get into. And you know, I always try to be sort of sensitive to that. I mean there was a certain amount with my own kids there was a certain amount of you know kind of cheerleading that I could do as a parent you know and kind of coax them through it by being like oh this is awesome and you'll love this and you know I love this and they're you know kind of willing to go along because I you know love it and I'm vouching for it and stuff but um but it can be tricky you can definitely um 
you can definitely kind of lose out by pushing it too early. Yeah. Yeah. I know with Sophie and she started the Hobbit when she was seven and she wanted to read it herself and good Lord, she did try, but um, she did start to burn out pretty quickly Mm -hmm. just simply with the long descriptions of things. So what happened is every night we would read, she would read the first page and then I'd take over. Yeah. And I think reading out loud really helps a kid get a better sense of what's going on just because your intonation is going to give them a lot of context to the words that they don't understand. And it also encourages them to stop and ask, what does that mean? Or I didn't quite get that. Or do that bit again. And it also, you know, it's good because you can point out to the whole, Gandalf's back. Remember he was missing? All right, Gandalf. You know. Yeah, exactly. And, And recaps before chapters also help them keep the continuity because most kids this age their books are about you know 50 pages with really big print so they're not used to retaining long bits of narrative i I mean you ask my kid you know the the long narrative of all 28 episodes of gravity falls they'll be able to give you you know a pie (laughs) chart and bar graphs and got a million storylines and stuff like that it it all depends on what they want to focus on but a lot of times they just don't have the attention span by the way side question um Mm. What streaming service is Gravity Falls on? Is it streaming somewhere? Uh, I don't actually. We bought it on Amazon episode by episode as they came out. I so see. I don't actually I know that okay. one. Um, Hulu, so maybe? It's or, available on Amazon, but you've got to pay for it? Is yeah. Okay. Worth it. Right. Yeah, totally well, worth it. It's on my list. It's been on my list for a while now. It's uh, I'm... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, your kids are probably about the right age for Gravity Falls. And it's great. It's like Twin Peaks for kids. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, actually, Twin Peaks, another thing on my list. I haven't seen it, but I know of it. And uh, Well, that one's, uh, on, that one's on Netflix. You can, yeah, that one is on Netflix. Season. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Lady, Sh- Lady Shmebiwak, whom I was going to ask, because I know her name comes from it, right, is, uh, yes. says, <laughs> that, says that it's on Hulu. So, um, yes. Uh, Belongsman, we're talking about Gravity Falls, the TV show Gravity Falls. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, no, every time you say your name, I laugh. Yeah, exactly. So I have, um, oh, no, belongs to the shock that I haven't seen Twin Peaks. No, no, I haven't. I missed that. And I, it's one of those I've been meaning to kind of come back around to, but I, um, have never gotten around to it. So yeah. It uh, looks like we're, we're getting some attention back here. <laughs> oh yeah. We're, we're starting to, we're starting to kite. Uh, we uh, got a pretty long kite tail. Hey, that's cool. We'll probably outdistance them. We can have a we can have a big set to uh, when we get to okay. the top of the path. If uh, if you're dead, raise your hand. <laughs> I'm a hunter and can do nothing about it. Well, if you're still on horseback, people probably make it, right? Probably. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, no, I'm going to take rear guard for a bit. Twin Peaks, I'm going to get around to. Look, you know, and at this point in my life, like one of the things that I'm trying to do is just like go back and fill in gaps. Like there are so many things, uh, especially being in this business, right? Like being in the Mythgard yeah. business, you know, I am constantly having conversations with people. They're like, what? You've never seen this. I can't believe it. And so, yeah, you know, I'm I'm because I didn't watch a lot of TV and uh, uh, and I like I, you know, there's just a lot of things that I missed both on TV and in movies. So yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, um, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I'm catching up. Right. So like, uh, you know, I, so I do these big projects. Um, you know, I missed much of Star Trek as I've talked about before. So I just recently did a big Star Trek uh-huh. viewing where I'd never seen Deep Space Nine or Voyager or anything at all. And I'd missed a whole lot even of the original series in the next generation. So I went through and I did a, a rigorous viewing, um, of the, those first four classic Star Wars series. Uh, so I watched all of those. I watched Babylon 5. I'd never seen Babylon 5. So, you know, I have this list. That's important as a Tolkien professor. That it one. is. It is. So I have this list of, um, let's see, let's stop here and make sure we, make sure nobody's, uh, nobody's in distress here coming down. the. Also make sure nobody misses the turn. Okay. Everybody coming? All right. We're good. Yep. Yep. Um, I think okay. so. I think that's. I think that's everybody. Is this everybody? Okay. Um, I think so. Anyway, yeah. So I, I'm trying to catch up on these things. So by the way, my current, um, my current, uh, oh, here's a couple more stragglers here. Uh, my my current project, what I'm what I'm what I'm right now in the midst of watching, uh, and I do all of my watching on my phone while I cook and do the dishes. Kitchen time is video time uh, whenever I can manage it. Um, yep. So when I am catching, which is why I'm asking about streaming services, because DVDs do me no manner of good, as I can't fit them in my phone no matter how hard I try. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so what I'm uh, what I'm currently watching is Doctor Who. Um, I finished yes. I finished the new Who. Well, I got caught up to as far as uh, Amazon Prime has gotten on the new Who. Uh, so I am through. Um, I've watched all of uh, the. Twelfth, uh, right? Twelfth uh, doctor. Oh, I haven't seen the last Capaldi. season. No spoilers. <laughs> um, uh, except for I, I haven't seen the Christmas special yet, which I think is the regeneration. Um, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen the that 14th one. Doctor. So. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Love the new Doctor Who. Big fan now. Um, finally I saw all of that. Um, in fact, I loved it so much that I am now inspired to fill in more. So I am. Uh, uh, Bruinier, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm going back and watching the classic Who now on BritBox. Oh, yeah. They so, had some good writers on those, too. You had things like uh, Douglas Adams wrote a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah. So I so I, I, I started, uh, Bruinier, just as you did, I started with the first Doctor. Because um, I'm such a completionist, as soon as, as I was completing the new Who, I, I became immediately like regretful that I hadn't started at the very, very beginning. So... Um, <laughs> So yeah, I'm 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 going through. All right, I think we're all here now. So let's go back to where we were last time. Um, yeah. So I, I've started at season one, and I'm watching everything they have available on BritBox, which is of course only a small per- percentage of it because a bunch of the early Who yeah. stuff was lost, you know, forever. Um, uh, they found a, they just found a whole bunch more. So awesome. I got my cool. across. Patrick Troughton stuff, I think. Oh, good. Half. I really like Patrick Troughton. I, I'm, I was hoping for more of season four. There's no season four at all. He's like, uh, someone mashed Dick Van Dyke and Ed Wynn together. I like Patrick Troughton. The second Doctor I'm enjoying very much. Uh, the first Doctor was fascinating. That wasn't fascinating, a bad thing. That was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I was assuming that was a compliment. Okay, all right, we should some, dismount here. All right, Not only because uh, people are attempting to let's pick off some do violence to our persons here, but uh, uh, or at least some of our persons. So anyway, okay. 
Uh, so anyway, so yeah, so like I said, I'm watching the new Who or the old Who now, the classic Doctor Who. I'm in I'm in season five now with the second Doctor. So that's sweet. Uh, but I had to take a break over this past weekend uh, because the new season of Luke Cage dropped on Netflix. So I had to watch that because I'm yeah. keeping up with the Marvel series on on Netflix. Anyway, this is my kitchen life. Uh, this is what. So I, so go back life. to the original question. It all depends on your child's attention span. All depends on your child's <laughs> attention span. That's absolutely. Or your grown-up's attention span. Exactly. But okay, back to ruins, because we are now amongst the ruins that we hadn't gotten to before. So we were looking at, where's that one that was, ah, that's the one up on the hill in the distance. Okay, we'll we'll come around to that one. Let's look at these ground-level ruins here first. Okay, so the main focus in going through Angmar has been doing, looking at the different archaeological layers, right? Um. And this stuff, there's nothing that screams really, really early human culture more than swirly patterns like this, right? This is oh, the yeah. classic. Uh, and notice we even get these. Did we get these? We got these Griffin things in the in the Barrow Downs, didn't we? Yes, we did. We got we did, these sort of right? yeah, Scottish looking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Those. Uh, uh, what's the heraldic phrase of when they're sitting up like that? They're called. Uh, uh, Glyphs? I don't know, no, sorry. No, the, the, it begins with an A-N-T, right? It's not couchant, that means lying down. It's not rampant. I don't think it's rampant. Is that rampant? Oh, yes, it is rampant. Maybe it's on it its is rear rampant. Head. Okay. Yes, yeah, sorry. Maybe it is rampant. Okay. Anyway. Oh, we're looking at the, the dragon on here. The or dragon or griffin or whatever that thing is. I still haven't been able to, It looks like a bird's beak. I think we determined but, they had Leonid's uh, hind legs. Hind legs, when you can see, when the hind legs are not... Yeah. in uh, creepy Sunk water. Sunk in nasty water. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, okay. Anyway, um, good. So, so this tomb is straight out of the Barrow Downs, and unlike the others, we don't uh, the the others that we were looking at. These don't look like they've been modified, right? I'm not seeing any mm-hmm. evidence of like modern that modern dark metal, right? That the new Angmarim metal that we we're seeing. The ones up on the <laughs> hill slopes look like they'd been you know, recently pimped by the Angmarim folks, right? These, yeah. this tomb does not look like it has. And of course this entirely ruinous. Any evidence of anything yeah. here? Was this even a tomb? Presumably it was, but we can't really see much about this at all. Well, we got an interesting little arc here with sort of yeah, actually kind of Aztec looking things here. Is that a, what's underneath there? Uh, I think it's a relic for Loremaster, but I'm not sure. No, it doesn't look like it. I think it's actually part of the landscape. Yeah, the black thing in there. Looks yeah, like a, I don't think that's actually like a, a scholar thing. A pot? Uh, <laughs> Reliquary? Canopic reliquary. jar? Yeah. Urn? Maybe? Um, maybe an urn. This yeah. strikes me as something it'd be more like goods they were buried with. or Perhaps maybe. odd for like an a freestanding urn to survive in a completely okay. ruinous building, the foundations of which barely exist. But, ooh, look! Look at this! Look, look, look! No, not this. <gasps> I'm running into the... Yeah, look at this over here. Get off my character sheet. Okay. Oh, it's that turquoise. Yeah, it's the turquoise stone. A tomb uh-huh. with clearly marked with the iron crown all around, right? So this is 
But this is presumably... Now, we were concluding that this turquoise stone stuff, like the statues which were up, and where was that relative to us? Looking up, I can't see it. Where are we? No, we're far from there. Um, we're way yeah. on the other end of the valley still. Um, so we're nowhere near that scenic death overlook, right, where we were before, um, yeah. where all those turquoise statues were, which were killing us, or near to the things that were killing us. Um, but this is... so, but. I think we concluded that that was old Angmar, right? Yeah. So these, so if these barrow downs like tombs, right? This with with the swirlies, right? Um, yeah. If those are original, you know, forebears of the hillmen who were native yeah. to this region, right? Yes. Uh, uh-huh. And then we have the old Angmarim, right? So then the witch king comes into town, yeah, and he. Uh, recruits and or enslaves the hillmen who were, you know, the indigenous peoples here. Um, and these seem to be the hillmen, right, who are now allied with Angmar, who corrupt the Rudaur, the Rudaurim, right? The, the, yes. uh, the, the Numenorians of, or the, the, uh, Arnorians of Rudar. Um, but now, and so I'm just kind of recapping our different archaeological layers. So we have four, right? We have the, the old inhabitants before old Angmar. We have old Angmar, yep. which then came in as an invader um, and established itself as a dominant uh, uh, culture above the natives. Then we had the return of the natives, right? Um, after yep. Angmar fell and the descendants of the hillmen reinvested it. And those seem to be those breed, uh, uh, the, the chief mark of those was, was yeah. those, uh, the Brie like uh, Tudor houses. Half timbers. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, um, uh, and then we have the new Angmarim and those are especially marked by those fish hook, like the shiny metal, the greasy things. purple metal, the greasy stuff. purple metal stuff. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, just like we Arm, saw, Arm Nouveau. In the, yeah, in the, what's it called? That place is called, I'm looking at my map, Bale Boglach. Boglach. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, like, crossroads place that we ran through quickly on the way here where we were picking up uh-huh. all those guys that we were kiting. Um, we saw that one tower, right, which was obviously New Angmar amongst all the old Angmar walls and some of the new hillmen um, uh, dwellings. Anyway, okay. So uh, th- there we had that recap. So this is old Angmar, and it seems to be a tomb? I'm could guessing. be a tomb. It could be related to the unrest around here, like it yes. was some sort of... Uh... Is it? Is it this what's causing the unrest? Uh, I wonder... I wonder. It's a lichpin. A <laughs> <laughs> lichpin. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, old D and D gag. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, that's what we called phylacteries. We call it, so we call them a lichpin. A lichpin. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Um, that's a horcrux in in modern terms. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So these are the. This one has these modern doors. Mm-hmm. That we were noticing of the tombs on the hill, though I don't see like those sort of shield things or like those sigils on the walls, right? Those doors might be an aberration yeah. if we don't have the what's up with this urn? Oh this urn is a this is a Oh yeah that's it's a, a, that's a urn. Okay. That's yeah, a drop. Yeah, yeah it's a drop. That's fine. Okay. Alright. Um were there any mobs down there before they all got killed? I don't think there really were. Uh, there were some Angmarum sorcerer necromancer dealies. There okay. was a bunch of whites and a couple of these dark mist 
things that look so, very much like the the dark water guys from the dark water um, guys exactly i'm so i'm assuming that these spirits the these sort of the dark mists and things are designed to be um like the water spirits right so these are not the spirits mm-hmm. of the dead um such as these gentlemen that are cr- leaping up from the ground right there, right? Um, yeah. Those are obviously whites of some kind, whereas those other mm-hmm. spirits are corrupted landscape spirits, right? Yes. Corrupted spirits of the... Um, the uh, affronted nature. Exactly, exactly. Um, so we see that the, 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 the land has been twisted and tormented, and the dead, as well, have been necromantically disturbed, right? Yes. Uh, One thing I'm not seeing here among the ruins that we had in the Barrow Downs that was really cool were those uh, depictions of uh, cowering or bowing men. Yes, yes. I was looking for those, too, and I haven't seen any yet, either. Um, we still... We still have this wheel theme. We have yes, we have this wheel thing. Various faces. Yes, um, and these kind of I don't know what rosette things. These curly yeah. Q variant things that we get, and then these series of standing stones. I don't know if these are headstones or if these are just standing stones for some other purpose. Uh, they're, they're abstract in nature. Yeah, they don't look like they're actual headstones, but I want to hear a couple more with some of those. Oh, look, these are not underwater, so we can see them more clearly. They are urns. They even have (laughs) decorative bottom halves that were underwater before. Oh, okay. So this is, that's the top of the tomb. Okay, got it. Yeah, they look like shrines. And this, oh, look, this is a, oh, this is a coffin with some of those wolf heads. I think they're wolf heads. We saw some of those. Yeah, those too. those definitely look like wolf heads or bat heads, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, what do we think the urn is? Now that it's part of these sort of grave headstones, uh, maybe offerings. You think? Well, the urn certainly does not look contemporaneous with the stone. I mean, those stones are ancient, yeah. right? That's why they're all like worn down and and rounded. Right. Presumably they weren't rounded originally. I mean, maybe they were because no. they do have a rounded, swirly theme. You can imagine them not having been squared off originally. But still, it's 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 clear that they're all worn down. Yeah. Those don't look. Those don't look ancient, but at the same time, they don't look well evil. Right. Those don't look like sources of corruption planted here by Angmarim necromancers. No. Right. Those look like offerings. Maybe they those come those urns come from the modern hillmen. Maybe. Maybe. That's what I'm thinking. So we are thinking offerings like a food or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe or even burial. Maybe the modern hillmen cremate their dead. And those are urns of ashes, I'm guessing. Well, then why is it on top of the grave here? Well, because this this is an ancient grave, right? So they're not going to dig up the ancient grave to bury more dead people in there. So they're putting the remains of their dead at the ancient grave site without disturbing the ancient grave site. Hmm. 
I don't know. I'm just thinking of like what what else. That this is my answer to the question: What else could it be if it's not an offering? Essentially. Hmm. Well, we well look. See, there we go. Now it is a grave. We know it's a grave there. You know it's a grave because <laughs> just dead people yeah. emerged out of it. And notice that these guys yeah. are still being called ironbound slaves, right? I love the ironbound wordplay there, right? Um, ironbound yes. as if they are in fact bound with iron chains. But of course, they're bound not by iron, but to iron, right? To the iron crown. Uh, I really, yes. I really sort of like the the wordplay involved with that. Well, also the the iron always had this strange, magical, mystical property when it right. was used in spells. You wonder if there was yes. some literal, if there was some literal, like uh, like bound by means of iron, uh, in that sense, like. Like if it was used in the necromancy, right? Like right. there was actual an iron shackle somewhere. Conceivably, um, we, they do like their big metal dealies. So they do. Hang on, I want to look at this row over here. This is like well, this is like the row house. Chloe chest. Of the is that den. chest glowing for you? Yes. What's up with the glowy chest? Oh, it's an ornate coffer. Oh, okay. Okay. So, Somebody got it. <laughs> well, we have this random sarcophagi, which I assume that's what those are, right? Yeah. Weird. They look all manky and messed up. Yeah. These have obviously been raided or something. I guess They're they could have just been disturbed hewn. when the... Yeah, they are very rough-hewn. And yet they don't look like they're of the same age as the... Tombs no, it looks like different stones. stones. Yeah, it does look like different stone. Well, it looks even different from these other sarcophagi over yes. here, like the wolf head ones the and the ones of these ones. little little exactly. dais over here. The wolf head ones look like they're of the same era as the tombs yeah. and the walls. You wonder no. if these are transported with the wolf head, like there was some sort of wooden bar here and Ooh, it was pulled on a right. sledge yeah. to you, put into place. Yeah, it does look like they could be like handles or... Something like that. Yeah. You'd have to get it here. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And then these... Yeah, it is, are these tombs? I guess Yeah, those are... Yeah, but they... Again, they look a little nicer than those open ones over there. Not only nice, but proportioned oddly. Right? Uh, children. Uh, or maybe they're curled up in fetal position. I'm just measuring. Yeah, I guess. No, you'd, you'd, you'd well, remember, uh, if, if they're very old, remember people, they were, Hillman are known for being shorter than. That's true. Narnian could be, could be like taller than the natives. Or maybe they built the coffins first and then it was one size fit all. So they just had to cram them in there. And they could have curled like, them up. Like King William the first or something like that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they weren't. They wouldn't necessarily bury their dead stretched out. Ooh, these tombs mm. now featuring skulls. The other ones didn't have skulls. Or maybe this is a charnel resting place. Like, this is where they put the bones afterwards or something. Maybe, yeah. Since they have skulls here in the architecture, maybe this, this box is just full of bones yeah. instead of an actual, you know, corpse. These boxes would very comfortably fit hobbits. In fact, you could probably double hobbits up in there. You get two or three hobbits per box. But I doubt they're burying hobbits. There's no real reason to suspect. No, them. not a hobbit. No. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, 
These, anyway. This design of the arch, though, it really does look Mayan, of all things. With the circles and the animal heads. Sure. And profile like that. Boy, you know, those heads are probably the same heads that are on the, you know, those yeah. things we've been calling wolf heads. But, boy, it looks a lot more dragonish on this. Yeah, on it these does. lintels, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, yeah, these are definitely more serpent looking. Yeah. And that, and that's a, that's a wing, right? Isn't it kind of a stylized wing that comes back off the, this one on the right certainly looks wingish. Or it's like a fork tongue, like a big long tongue coming out of their mouth at the end. Oh yeah, I see the wing now. See what I'm talking about? On the right hand side? Winged serpent. Yeah, Yeah. see that's what makes it look even more mine. It looks like, you know, uh, Quetzalcoatl kind of thing. Right. Yeah, maybe. Okay. That's Aztec, not mine, but right. I'm anyway, sure there was some crossover in the pantheons. What's well, uh okay, so this is a fell spirit. So now a fell spirit yeah. is not a spirit of the dead. This is like an ancient like a like an ancient Ainu like a fallen Ainur spirit, right? Like a, a fallen mm-hmm. Maya or something. Could be, yeah. Um so we have so that they would be of a similar order then to um uh of a similar order to the water spirits, but not attached to the environment. Yes. Okay. Um, could fell spirits be used to animate the bones of the dead, though? Isn't that what we were kind of implying? That- yes. Yes. Um, and we saw, of course, a spirit of that kind being um, bound to the statues, right? Yeah, those little heart stones in the statue. Yeah, the yeah. thing. And can we... No, this just leads up to a platform up there, right? There's nothing interesting up those stairs. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, just looking around. No, now, who builds a doorway in the side of the wall up there? That's just <laughs> weird. Wow. Yeah. I was always sad we couldn't go into any of these doorways. Yes. Yes. Oh, we've crossed into a like a a neighborhood, Bargorog. Oh. The the borough of Bargorog. Yeah, yeah, it's a borough, probably. Yeah. Okay, so a dread mist. Yeah, so these are the like elemental yeah. ones. Oh, yeah. See that guy's hanging up by a little spring over there. Aha! Yeah. Oh no, it's not. It's, oh, not, no, a it's spring, not a spring. It's a grave. It's a grave. It's a grave. I, it's a grave. I yeah. thought it was a little pond. Okay. It's hard to tell when the, everything's glowing. And. Oh, look at this poor tree. Oh, yeah, look at and him. And this tree is moving. Yep, he's one of the creepy moving trees out here. Yes. The big, white, creepy moving trees. Like, even the dead trees are unquiet dead here, right? Uh, just a little bit, just sort of going, help, hey. I mean, yeah. look, he's diseased. He's got green glop all over him. Yeah, the green glop is particularly unpleasant. Yeah. Um... Okay, hang on a second. I'm looking at where I am. All right. So there are still more tombs, all still more or less mm-hmm. from the same period. That That's a really interesting... A lot of wood for a mostly stone-based kind of area. The, I wonder uh, how many times they had to repair this. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the wood platform 
is interesting too. Definitely uh, yeah. recent. Oh, look, it's got brand new uh, brass fittings over here. We're on the edge. Yeah, right here on the stairs. On the stairs. Wait, where are those stairs? Over oh, here, over right there. Okay, behind you. Oh, the stairs we just came up. Yes, of course. Yeah. So look, see, brand new metal fittings on these. Ah. Oh, aha. Uh -huh. so yeah, these right, were recently right the erected. Yes, yes. Right on. Okay. So probably these were built by the Angmarim, probably the new Angmarim, mm -hmm. right? Who yep. are coming in and we haven't seen them building anything. We haven't seen any evidence of building. Yeah, the, except for uh, except for uh, barricades and fences and war machines. <laughs> right, right. Now these are old stairs. Look at yes, these. Yes, exactly. Those are not the new. Are not the new wooden stairs. This yeah. is clearly part of the original necropolis, right? Oh, look how big and steep they are. They're like this is like when I went to Temple of the Moon. In Mexico, they had right. these giant stairs to the yes. point where you're sort of imagining yourself going, how did anyone get up and down these like gracefully during a ceremony? Right. Pretty much just have to fall with style. Right. Oh, all the curly, curly markings on the, on the posts here. Sorry. I'm looking out oh. at the, uh, uh, seeing what I can oh. see. Oh, uh, how's the view? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that is a drop. Oh my! It is. We're getting this place high up was fairly quickly. This place was important. And there's yeah, nothing but the, the curly cues carved on the yeah. Posts. You think they'd be like some sort of gargoyles or some sort of things to scare people away from up here? I guess yeah, they just assumed was, everyone was afraid of heights. I was looking for anything like the Pukelmen, for instance. Oh yeah, we got Squidward over here. Ah, oh, there's another lake down there. Oh, okay, it's a stone. Sorry, you've got a who? <laughs> I don't know, it looks like Squidward right here, this little bronze mask guy over here. Ah. Whoa. Help, I think I'm it looks into like Squidward. <laughs> um, hmm. Just got a big nose in the middle of his face. Is that a helmet? Eh. It's a dopey-looking helmet. Hard to imagine what's... Uh, <laughs> What's helmet? I think it's supposed it? to be a face, uh, some sort of grimacing face, though. Yeah. With horns, right? With horns. horns, yeah, yeah. This is supposed to scare somebody off, I think. Right on. Right on. Okay. All right. And here's our rampant dragons, Griffon. wyverns, griffins, whatever they uh -huh. are. Okay, oh, but we're not done going up. There's still more up. Let's go Man. all the way up. Okay, hang on. No, These look. ancient Hellmans must have very good calves. Ah, uh, look. There we are. There's our lookout. Oh, uh, yep, yep, yep. Yes, it is. That's it. That's where we were standing before. I didn't even see this place <gasps> oh, yeah. up here. Yeah, that's where we were standing before and trying not to die, because there's our yes. turquoise wall with the skull wall and the... Yeah, so it's a wall full of bones and the big statues on the far side and the watchstones that were killing us and the big drop down into the with the murky water, yeah, and the big tree down there, yeah. Okay, so we're up on we're above that now. We've we've we're higher than yeah. that. Um, oh, we will be above it. Oh, look at this! 
Oh my gosh. Which place? Where? Uh, up the stairs. Ooh. Do you more see that? turquoise thing. More okay. turquoise. And bone wall, right? Oh, and yeah. here, no watchstones, so we can look at it at our leisure without dying. Leisurely, leisurely. Oh, look at this. Yes. Oh, compacted yes. skulls. So this is made into the stone? It's got to be. It's got to be. It's it's got to be yeah, petrified, right? So this is definitely. like skulls mixed with, you know, some kind of concrete, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, a basic stone structure, but then the stone stuff, the skull stuff, rather, was used as filler? I guess. Guess. And not all of the rock is turquoise rock, right? It's we see it down here. Uh, no, but well, well, let's plinth. yeah, let's see what this place was before the Angmarm. Yeah, stuck it. It looks like they kept the Ang- the the Hillman stairs, but then they just sort of gave everything their own. Yeah, grotesque exactly. touch. So this was the because you're right. This so the stairs was from the ancient Hillman, right? Mm-hmm. And it came up here, and then something just wham. They built the old Angmarim, just built this big old turquoise and skull <sighs> wall here. Looks like it fell out of the sky. It sure does, man. Because originally, right, so that can't have been there. That's obviously post-dates yeah. the stairs, right? So the stairs came up probably just to this. There wouldn't, it wasn't, it wouldn't even have had to have been anything here. It could have just been a landing like this area down that we just came from, right? Uh-huh. Like, there were a couple tombs set in the walls here right below where we're standing right now. Um, yeah. But mostly that's just kind of a, a landing. And so presumably this was So probably there were ancient tombs in this wall here originally. Well, it looks like windows that got bricked up. Where If you stand here? back here, you can see it a little clearer. Wait, stand back. Where are you now? I'm over here. Okay, right, right. Over here. Okay. If you stand back here, you can see that these are obvious, some sort of window frames or archways, and that's where all the skulls are jammed in, like they were blocking up the windows. Oh, so like they actually bricked it up. But I think the whole thing, I think that even the brickwork around Mm -hmm. the skulls is newer, though, because it's built on the foundation of the turquoise stone. Yeah. And it's also sharper. Look how sharp the arches are compared to, you know, like the openings of the tombs that we saw on the walls yeah, those are gothic arches, right? There. Well, Romanesque leaning Romanesque, towards gothic. Yeah, exactly. Getting there. So yeah, so I think I think this whole thing, um, whether the skull filling reflects a, a a later addition to the older structure, and the structure was just put there or not, whether it was all a unit, whether it was like first we'll build this thing with lots of open arches, then we'll fill the lot of it with skull concrete, like you know whether that was. The original plan or not the original plan, I don't know. But I'm thinking the the original wall here, like the the stone wall, would have had old tombs in it, like the ones in the wall under which, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that we're standing on the ceilings of right now. Those that are made there. of mostly heads, apparently. Yeah. But we should see what's at the rest of the top right. of the stairs. Because then, right, come. so this would have been a landing with tombs in the walls, but then they because yeah. they built another... Another stair. Now, this wall, this the laid stone to our right, I think, is part of the original construction. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, they, you can they, see the they. Yeah. Oh, 
Cobbles filled out this wall, right? And then we got cobblestones. Okay, so more, more turquoise stuff everywhere. But again, the old stone. Uh huh. So they've done a lot of. Ooh, ooh, look over here. We have the survival of the old tombs. Aha! Oh, and there is one hard at work. Who's he? He's a spirit master. Okay. Spirit master. An iron crown spirit master he was. Oh, and a big old new fish hooks. Big old fish hooks everywhere. Wait, where? Where are the fish hooks? Uh, Right above him. Oh! Yeah! Oh, sorry, up on the the second level. I wasn't even looking at those. Yeah. Yes! The mezzanine. (laughs) Right, so this is... And and obviously, obviously, we got the Iron Crown carved into this, yeah. so we have no question that the turquoise mater- matter, and I think all of the turquoise matter. Supra. Oh, there's a treasure catch over there. Um, yeah. I think that all of the turquoise matter is old Angmar. Yes. Right. So the turquoise matter and the skulls. I'm going to go ahead and say the skulls too. Probably old Angmar. Right. Um, yeah. So we have, but. Set in the midst of the, so this is the the level that the old tombs were getting to, uh, mm-hmm. the highest level with all of these tombs, which would have been I don't know what the tombs of kings or something, but then mm-hmm. the witch king comes in and he's like, no, let's erect these big turquoise structures. For mm-hmm. what purpose? I just don't understand. Oh, and they got the two looming sc- uh, statues on top too. Look all the way up towards the stars so you can see the two looming statues on. Whoa, yeah, the, yeah, the turquoise statues. In fact, there are four of them. Uh-huh. This is a big deal. Yes. Those which look like women, possibly, or cowled uh, persons in any case. Some sort of, or bear, they're bearing something either in hands or in a bowl. Yeah. Helping the right, holding blood. Yes. Holding skills. So you've got to think that these turquoise structures were uh-huh. erected here in order to, what, like harness the spirits of the dead, of the original dead or something, right? Yep. And now the new Angmarim have made their new, you know, uh, spiky spearhead fishhook shrines all around the top there in order to tap the same thing. So that crown spirit master, this dude who keeps regening conveniently, um, you know, his job is to stand right here in front of, Oh, and there comes the other guy. That's the dude he was summoning. Yes, definitely. Probably going to do another warding. Yeah. Yeah. Something or, so he's standing here in front of this thing, which shows, which suggests by the way that, you know, clearly this Mm -hmm. probably, no, I say clearly, but probably, not a tomb, right? But some kind of shrine, some kind of focus, right? Radio tower has, for evil spirits. Yeah, radio tower <laughs> of evil. Um, and they've it put is up a radio for speaking to God. And they put in some new antennas up there, right? So, yeah. So the the new fish hook things, which are burning with a sinister green flame, are like the. To improve reception. Yeah, they're like the evil uh, uh, rabbit ears, right, on the uh, <laughs> on the evil... Yeah, evil aerials yeah, of rabbit ears. Evil aerials, that's it. That's just what they are. Okay. All right, this all makes sense now. Yeah. Oh, it, this place keeps going, too. I just, I just peeked down the corridor. There's stuff down there. And we've got water up here. Concerning it's, well, which, gross. let's not... 
I mean, it's... Yeah, let's not carry. It's gr- so... Okay, Morton, yeah, it does keep going. Goodness. Which direction are we kinda... facing now? Oh, we're, like, into the mountain now. Yeah. We're on top of the mountains. Where does this road go? I don't even know. Okay, still the with the turquoise and the skull crete. Uh, uh-huh. And what is this? Is this a cliff? No, no, no. I don't know. Path. I think it's a road, actually. That's yeah, a road. We're going down. It's a road. In a steep but more or less orderly fashion. Falling with style. Exactly. Um, okay, hang on. Peeking over the edge. Where are we now? We are looking out of Imlad Balkorth. Um, this is the other side. This this is this is non necropolis region. Well, there's there. some necropolis at the bottom there. But... Oh, so this is like a whole back door into the area. Oh yeah, but notice there's no architecture over on this side either. Yeah, no. This is so. This would have been what an ancient ramp approach. To the not a, not an easy ramp. No, not an easy ramp. I don't even know if we can get back up here. Let's see. Oh yeah, you can walk Let's back see. up here. Boy, this is one of those things that kind of when you look at it from a distance, you're like, I will never be able to walk up there, and then you feel. Oh, like somebody you're... says there's a library up here. The I gotta see this. A library. A last rail says there's a library. In the back, I did see a side entry, a little side alley over here. I seem to remember coming up here at some point for some quest or other. But is that is that up these stairs or around? I think it's this. Yeah, it's this. Yeah, this little bit around the corner here. Oh, I see. Okay. I don't know. I think this is it. Uh huh. Okay. Hang on! Don't kill guys immediately. I want to see what they're called. Yeah, he wants to take a look at them. I want to see the names oh, of people. Oh, it's a doorway. It's a doorway. Uh-huh. Right. Aha, uh-huh, yes. Right. Okay. A doorway Thank you, that we can get through. Yes. And we missed this. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know this was up here. Hmm. Well, everyone else is jumping in. Yeah, I'm just... Look at the contrast. Yep. This looks like... A really fancy version of one of the old tombs. Yeah. Right? We got the griffins, yeah. we got the ram's head dudes, we've got the And brass. And yeah. Bronze, whatever. We've yeah. got the Old and Busted, yeah. New Hotness. Yeah. And then over here we've got plain stone, not even an arch. Yep. Yeah, hmm. just yeah, post and lintel. Post and lintel. In what looks almost like a face, and oh my goodness! <gasps> it is a library. Look, it's at called Dorgul. Dorgul. Dor. Well, Gul. Dorgul. The land of sorcery. The land of magic. Well, <laughs> or is it black speech? Maybe. Well, hang on a second. Why do we... Okay, so this is the door. Maybe who's... they just found, like, this neat, dry place to keep a lot of literature. Yeah, whose scrolls are because these? These can't be the scrolls of... These are not Hillman scrolls. They no. would not have had paper written stuff down. I think and this was repurposed. This it's got to no, be... No, this I mean, is repurposed. Look at this. You've got, like, 
seals and ribbons and strings. Yep. This is not, yeah, no, these are not ancient. No, somebody said a nice dry place to keep paper. Let's stay in here. And then look, look at this. Look at how the <gasps> fire in a library. How dare they? I know. Right. And then look at these walls. They've been yeah blasted through. Like somebody just like knocked this through. It well, looks like that it was does bricked happen up. out here. It looks like it was bricked up, and then it was just, and then someone was like, no, no, we're excavating, right? Yeah, and, this is Fortunato trying to find the Amontillado after all, you know? Yeah, exactly. And here, okay, see, now here we have all clear, right, yeah. turquoise, and skullcrete, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. A wooden, wooden stairway with, yes, the same kind of fittings. Yeah, exactly. So more evidence that so these must be the scrolls of the like Angmarim necromancers, old Angmar yeah. or new Angmar? Do we think? Ah, oh, with the you know the shelf life of paper, I've got to say new Angmar, or maybe this is I don't know. It depends on how dry it is. Who's the dude? Oh, why attack me? Mula. I am but a keeper of books. But you got a pointy helmet. Molkolum. Yeah. And he's green, so we actually can't attack him. Um, sorry, whoever. Yeah, I. Sorry, I can't kill this guy. You, yeah, someone just aggravated him. He's like a, a quest dude. You do. Are you are wearing I'm, a really sinister hat for a guy who's? Yeah, I know. Okay, hang on. I, mean, I want to be an stop running. Stop librarian. Running. If I get a cool hat like that. Hey, right? person whom he's trying to kill. Stop running for a second. I want to get on yeah, the other yeah. side of him. I'm trying to. Where do you go? He He's right here. here. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I want to see his face. Here we go. Oh. But I, you don't have to let him kill you. It's okay. You don't have to sacrifice yourself for the team here. I just wanted to see his face once because I wanted to get a look at the front If of any minstrels want to heal her while this is happening, that'd be a big help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you might want to do that. I don't think I can do that. Yeah. Or, or can I? Molkolwim, keeper of books. More Colwim. But that's that's the interesting thing. It, it does imply that if uh, uh, Chrysla hadn't uh, attacked, then he would have left her alone. Because he says, why are you attacking me? I am but a keeper of books. He, it does right. imply that the well, books are actually more important than this his master's Oh, Star look, purposes. he's passed his attentions on to someone else. Oh. Interesting. I think it's because it was the bard who was attending on it. Oh, I see. Maybe. I don't know. I can't. Yeah, no, I actually can't. Uh, no. He's an invalid target for me. <laughs> yeah, me too. There is a quest attached to this guy, though. Yeah, it's healer aggro. That's what it was. Yeah, let's just play round robin. It'll, I'm it'll... sure I did this. I think Wigand did this mm. when Wigand was here. Ooh, he just hit me. <laughs> I must have been in his AoE there. Yeah, maybe. Uh-oh. That tickled a bit. Don't look now, but Kiriana is fiddling at you uh, uh, <laughs> pointedly. Okay. Um, okay, so obviously this guy is New Angmar. Mm-hmm. So that does suggest that all of these scrolls are in fact New Angmar. Now the uh-huh. question, and, and this probably should be our final question as it's quite late now. Yes. Our final question is... Why? Why 
you've got to think for a lending library, this has got to be about the most <laughs> inconvenient location ever, right? I mean, look what we had to go through to get here. Yeah, definitely. So this is far from a convenient spot. And of course, I'm joking about a lending library. It would presumably be desire. They, they would want it to be hidden, right? They've chosen yeah, yeah. the tombs of the dead, uh, in which to build their library, this body of nasty water uh, is not conducive is to not a good atmosphere for keeping good paper. Atmosphere. Yes, it turns out not to have been. A, oh, look! When do we fight? He's grown, grown weary of waiting. Necromancers. Not a book lover, apparently. Yes, exactly. All right. Yeah, this is. Uh, these guys are not like posting for one of those library read posters. Um, Need to attack what? Esteldeen they know soon. about the they know about the worst kept secret in the North Downs. Not Esteldeen. I thought it was so well kept a hidden secret. Absolutely. Um, uh, okay. Nobody should know about Esteldeen except the fifty of us. Look at these big. Oh no, those aren't pouches. Those are little. Those are clothing elements. Okay, I thought they had these big pouches by their side, but no, those were just parts of their garments. Okay, so... I think it was part of their Falda armor. Yeah, so we've got... (gasps) Books on the floor! Books on the floor, and a... There's one lying face down. Oh, no. Where it has a face? Where, here? Well, you know, it's with the the cover out in the spine. It does! It's a codex! It is. It's the only codex in the room, the one that's on the floor. This must have been brought in. This must have been a, a pocketbook from one of the guys. Because there's no codices anywhere on these walls. I was looking for codices before. I'm like, they're all scrolls. No codices. Necromancer's Guide, How to Raise a Family. Yeah, yeah, that must be, you know, that must be his. Like, I don't know if it's a dirty book or something, but it's something that one of those guys brought with him. <laughs> knock, knock jokes. Yeah, exactly. Angmarim knock, knock jokes or something. Um, <laughs> they all end with people dying. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is a repository for what? Necromantic texts or something? Uh, why would they be storing their books here, though? To keep them secret, possibly. You know, so maybe to protect them, maybe to, uh, maybe to, uh, I mean, I can't imagine that there's ritual power in this. I mean, I can't imagine there's ritual power in this place. I can't understand why storing your books in the place would have anything to do with. Oh, Alastro apparently found the, found the quest text for this uh, particular Ah. room. It said, the papers you found bear the mark of the Lord of Angmar, this Lord Mulkulum, who's the librarian in the pointy hat. Yeah. Who calls himself Keeper of Books, seems to be responsible for managing all the trade and supplies that move to and from Angmar to the orc armies in the North Downs. If he were to be defeated, we may be able to stop these supply lines. So what, these are receipts? These are supply lists? Oh, that is anti-client. That is disappointing. That's lame. So keeper we, of the books. He's a bookkeeper. He's keeper. a bookkeeper. Literally a bookkeeper. Uh, oh so he's man. A, he, oh, he's a bureaucrat. This guy. These are 
This is this is a, a tomb of red tape. <laughs> Tarloniel <laughs> says killing the head accountant will totally save the day. Um, no wonder he had a pointy evil hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> JJ says the fire is for him to cook the books. Um, <laughs> oh dear, it's getting late. Um, but, okay, so these are not secret. Uh, They're shipping manifests. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They're inventories. Pull oh, over. And let man. me read your manifest. Oh, this is uh, this is, t- and so. They thought that the most convenient place to store these documents was way up these incredibly steep paths in this secret tomb. Where they're punishing the government workers. <laughs> you have yeah. to go up this. You have to go up these stairs past all these ghost and nasty things. It's right. at the top of a tall hill. Stay there. <laughs> yeah. Well. This was this was uh, the mash outpost. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. I wouldn't have guessed that. Uh, the physical evidence doesn't suggest that uh, yeah. overtly. Um, yeah. Okay. Then we, fa- we thought we found like the restricted section of the Harry Potter <laughs> yeah, library. Exactly. That's totally what I was assuming it was. That this was the restricted section of the Angmarim library. But no. No, it's the shipping manifests. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, yeah, this is beginning just to sound punitive now. Yeah. Uh, It'll tell me where that one Amazon order went. So the bookkeeper is just cranky because he's yeah. kept uh, all the way up here at the top of the ridge on the he does boundary. think very highly of himself. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that is a uh, triumphant note uh, for <laughs> for us to for us to end with. Um, very good. So we will. Can we still haven't finished the uh, the land of the dead down here? So we'll we'll, no, we'll, we'll sure look haven't. around for. Uh, uh, we'll we'll continue here more next time, and then we will eventually be working our way up towards Gathworthnir eventually. There's a lot to see in Angmar. Good grief! Yeah, we haven't even ta- we haven't got near Karn Doom yet. I know we're we're not even at the suburbs of Karn Doom yet. Um, <laughs> man, okay, cool. Um, all right, so thanks everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, fun discussion on Bill Fernie's face and uh, and uh, on uh, and uh, Harneth's spirited defense of uh, Harry the the gatekeeper, and then. Uh, some more excellent uh, um, Necropolis investigation here this evening. Uh, Thanks, everybody, and I will see you guys next week. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks, Valorie. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.